people should not be walking around with masks. Let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better. And masks are protective. And we but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. There has not been any indication that putting a mask on and wearing a mask for a considerable period of time has any deleterious effects. There are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there? Of course. You do not need to wear a mask indoors if, in fact, you've been vaccinated. Good that you're vaccinated, but in a situation where you have people indoors, particularly crowded, you should wear a mask. So even if you are vaccinated, you should wear a mask. If, in fact, you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you are protected, and you do not need to wear a mask outdoors or indoors. When the children go out into the community... You want them to continue to wear masks. You know, if you look at, at, at children outside, particularly when they're with the family, uh, walking down the street, playing a game or what have you, don't have to wear a mask. The, 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 the pediatric, the Academy of Pediatric, actually makes that recommendation that children should be wearing masks uh, from two years old onward. And you're asking now if your child is a member of your household, can you walk outdoors with your child without a mask? According to that chart, the answer is yes. But the child can't, not to beat it, yeah. beat it to death. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. Because now okay. the CDC... Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to pack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Today, August 25th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. I almost wish I held that picture of the Jacks back for today's episode because today is, is much more all-encompassing. Well, no, I shouldn't say it like that, but I really tried to kind of bite off an impossible job for today's show, which was in, in, in one show, even with as long as our shows can be trying to kind of encapsulate, not if I don't think it's possible to encapsulate all the most important points. It's just, there's just so many angles, but ultimately the, the most important things I think we can put into the show today that really give you a, a, a very clear understanding at the, at least that you have every reason to question this as we titled it today. You have every reason to question everything about all of this stuff, which by the way, you always had not just the ability or the, it was okay to do it, but that you had every reason to do it before this, but about vaccines, variants, masks, PCR tests. We're going to go over quite a bit today. It's going to be very content dense, but I think this is important to reset because as I'm noticing, there's a lot more people today, even just, it, from the beginning of, say, 2020 and COVID-19 illusion beginning to today, there's a lot more people right now that are more attuned to the illusion, more, more at least willing to entertain something they might hear on a fringe show or however it used to be framed for them. The conspiracy shows or just nothing other than the corporate media are now going, OK, well, let's hear what they have to say, because sure enough, even if they got lucky, they were right over and over throughout this last process. And of course, as you know, if you were paying attention, if you're watching the shows that are being objective, it wasn't about getting lucky. 
it was actually just an interesting com- combination of actually looking at the science as opposed to just yelling trust the science and comparing that with historical events and what we see them doing and then catching them in lies in real time. And as you, you don't need to be told the rest of the story, you're right here and you're watching it. It's pretty incredible. So we're going to go pretty much down the line today in a little bit of a come back and forth to some degree, but for the most part sectioned out today. Uh, I'm going to start with a quick part about Twitter in general that I think was important to include that we went over our last pirate stream, but it's just it's the dynamic is better for me to explain this stuff here. And I wanted to get this out for you in an interesting way about what's going on there. And I very much think this has to do with what's going on right now, as well as the election cycle starting back up again. And we're going to talk about that as an, an overlap with another platform. And then just a couple of quick points I wanted to show you on Maui that I think were important that I've also kind of pointed out already. But then 95% of today's show is going to be predominantly about COVID-19, the new variants, the vaccines, or whether they're even there at all, the vaccines, masks, PCR tests, and, you know, the entire illusion that is COVID-19 and giving you the tools to be able to show other people, look, this is not what you're being told. It doesn't have to mean the entire, that you know, it's all fake or this doesn't exist. It certainly does in some cases, or you can consider that, but just the ability to show somebody else, like maybe you should be questioning what you're being told. And give them something that's not just some look at my website kind of an argument. But here's a peer-reviewed study. Here's what these other scientists are saying. Like, have you seen this? That's the kind of stuff that people need to see who are, again, now more willing to hear this stuff. And you guys are all seeing this too. Now, some people are dug in more than ever. But I'm sure we can all see there are some people now that are a little bit more aware about what has been going on. And I think that's important. I think that shows you why this has become so clumsy and they're pushing this in so hard because people aren't buying the narrative anymore. At least at the very least, that's what I think is happening. And I'm going to lean into that because why not wishful thinking and all, but I, I genuinely do think that I think as we point out with the bivalent or other examples that we have a lot of writing on the wall that shows you people are just not buying it as I've continued to point out, but ultimately that they're like, let's just take the most ardent supporter of the government vaccines. Those people are kind of going like something feels wrong right now. Like this has been very strange. Like they're the same. That's why they didn't get the bivalent. That's why they didn't do a few different things. So I just, I think it's important that we acknowledge that and take that win for sure. Now let's uh, start with one thing I wanted to make sure you guys saw that I, I wanted to make sure you guys just take a moment from our crazy day full of not, you know, government nonsense and terrible things in the world. And a lot of positive as well. A lot of good people fighting for good things, but take a break from all of it. And send some love and, and, and positive energy towards Whitney and her son. Her and Rowan are struggling. He, he has recently gotten a little bit worse and he's now got a ventilator on. Not, not in the relation to the COVID-19 type narrative, but there, he's dealing with some other things that are just, it's just impossible. And I really feel, I, I, it's been paining me a lot today thinking about what Whitney's going through. So try to send your love and your positive energy because he needs it and she needs it. And I just, I think that's important. And I, I, whatever your thoughts are on something like that, I truly believe that that makes a difference. I really do. You, if you just take a moment and, you know, you can think of it in the terms of prayer. You can think of it in the terms of just sitting there and meditating and saying, you know, I, I, I'm trying to envision positive outcomes and send positive energy. You know, I'm sure plenty of people, even in my audience are rolling their eyes at that, but I deeply believe that makes a difference. So please take a moment. And make sure you send that to her because she needs it and he needs it. It's a wonderful, beautiful little boy who's just full of positive happiness, even in this, even during this time. He just doesn't deserve to happen to people like that. So I want to start with this Twitter point that I think is really important. 
Now, I mentioned this again briefly on, on, on uh, our pirate stream, but I wanted to flesh this out a little bit. So this was just this was kind of ridiculous to me. So Elon recently came out and said, Facebook is manipulating the public almost everywhere on Earth, which I completely agree with. That's why they won't open source the algorithm. Well, I immediately was like, well, hey, hello, pot, meet the kettle. You know, and I said, I, I, I know the narrative we're supposed to repeat, you know, that he showed us the code, right? Cool story, but we got a limited hangout. Really, that's where it was. A lot of people claimed to have seen everything. Maybe they did, but we sure didn't. It's not the same thing. How would those Twitter files work out for everybody, right? Hashtag Twitter screenshots. I guess the promised source material is forthcoming. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's frustrating. We can't, like, for him to stand up and go, bad guy, bad guy, it's like it's almost creating this new kind of, like, divided dynamic. But overall, they're both doing that. 100% manipulating all around the world right now. And I'm going to show you more than ever, Facebook is just as concerning for me. As I mentioned previously on a previous show, the idea that Facebook seems kind of more in the direction of, like, the metaverse and that kind of idea, whereas Twitter seems to be more of, like, the narrative control information hub, right? Both of which are completely tapped into the agenda that's taking place. But just for the Twitter side of this, I hope we can recognize this. Here's what the Yak said. Excited to continue the momentum in our business, and we are officially bringing back the client council in the fall. The client council. That's Yakarino. So you remember what that is? We should, because it was the moment when everyone said, hooray, Elon's on our side, or one of them, getting rid of the, the censorship council and the conversations, how they were going to be, you know, that, that's exactly what, it, what you think it is. The group that sit around and decide whether you're allowed to say certain things. And, and it's all about advertising, right? Where, well, if it's going to be next to a thing we want to advertise, we don't want that content there. So they go, okay, well, then that content's not allowed, you know, generally speaking. So before we get to what that is, let's not forget, as he's going Facebook, bad guy. <laughs> Facebook forms the client council to advise the social network on advertising. Totally not. Same thing. X schedules first meeting of new client council to reassure ad partners. This is about censorship. It's openly on the surface about censorship and suppression. It's interesting how, because we, they pretended Elon was saving something, that the very things that they were screaming about almost got enshrined as positives because he's in charge now. We've all seen this happen with the two-party paradigm. I'm surprised we still, people anywhere still fall for it. But the point is that this is just the game of dynamic, the back and forth, the divide and conquer. So now the hate speech being censored and censoring things they don't agree with because advertising and, and, and that's all free speech apparently on, on, in Twitter land. That's good stuff. I mean, guys, this is worse than it was before. This is them going right on the surface of it and then even more so, way more surreptitious activity. Plenty of right-leaning content makers are saying the same thing right now. It's weird how this happens. But here's the breakdown from Yakarino saying she's celebrating her first victory as she revives the advertising council Elon Musk disbanded. And it says that in July, Tesla CEO and SpaceX founder said Twitter uh, um, in July that said Twitter, as it was still called then. Oh, got it. Uh, continued to burn through its cash reserves. Posting this is due to 50 percent drop in advertising revenue, which I don't know if it's just a narrative that that's how they are justifying these actions or if it's the truth. And either way, the, 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 the interesting part is it was all about the data. Remember? And we all should know data is wildly more lucrative than advertising. I mean, unbelievably. It's like gold versus copper. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? The point is uh, very clearly you can see that the data, as Corbett wrote about this a long time ago, data is the new oil. So either they're not getting enough data, which may suggest that maybe they're not scraping data. I don't believe that. I think it's they've shown that that's what's happening and they're open about it. So then they're not making money from that data. I don't believe that. 
Okay, so either they're just making wanting to make more for some reason, or we're just being lied to about why they're going to be censoring. Advertising seems like an easy scapegoat. So it's like, hey, we're not doing it. We got to be profitable. Then you're going to get plenty of people that support them. They're going to go, hey, it's just a business. You got to support. It's not just a business. This is we're simultaneously being told that to to justify things like this, except simultaneously being told it's a town square and and we have to regulate it. And you can't have all these things at once. They're trying to game everybody. And people who are not smart enough to see through that or don't care because partisanship are driving people in like the Pied Pipers of today. It's crazy. In order to lure advertisers back, Yaccarino signed a new ad tech partnership just last week with Integral Ad Science. We'll show you that where that connects in a minute. A company that offers safeguards that ensure advertisers post won't appear beside your dangerous bad guy content. You know, that just happens to be an objective conversation about what the Israeli government's doing that day. But bad news, because we don't like it. So really, it doesn't even matter if it's something that violates any kind of known rule or even nicety. <laughs> even hate speech, doesn't even matter. If they just decide that's not what we want next to our content or our ad- advertising, and they're big enough advertiser, well, Twitter's going make to diff- make a point to make something happen there. That's important to realize. That's censorship. That's suppression. That's not freedom of anything. No freedom of speech or reach. In her CNBC interview on Thursday, Yaccarino insisted X had furthermore deployed an additional new brand safety and content moderation tools, quote, that have never existed before at this company. <laughs> Great. So not only are we bringing back all the bad stuff, we're adding even more, as well as confirming a new de-amplification policy. <laughs> Where are all these people that are still ridiculously, in a cartoon way, na- screaming, Elon saved free speech? They're not real. If you are following somebody like that, you need to recognize they're a ridiculous person that does not understand reality or lying to you because they're telling you what they're doing. We've introduced a new policy called freedom of speech, not reach. That's not even happening anymore. And again, I'll give the nod to Hussein, uh, Sam Husseini, who when I interviewed him, he, made, he brought my attention to this very point. They're not different. They are, in fact, even in legal precedent, the same thing. ADL is the one that made this distinction, and that's what Twitter brought it up for. Big surprise. If you're going to post something, she says, that's illegal or against the law, you're gone. Zero tolerance. And I love this quote. But more importantly, she goes on, if you're going to post something that's lawful but awful, you get labeled. So just make sure, you know, understanding how words work, she just said it's more important to get rid of the legal, not violation content because they don't like it, as opposed to getting rid of content that literally breaks the law. One example could be things, I don't know, like child pornography. So sure, she's going, yep, gone, no matter what. But more importantly, that thing you said about Israel, the thing you said about trans people, that's more important. That's what words mean. That's very clear. They have meaning. You get de-amplified, which means you cannot be shared or certainly demonetized. The tactics are all bid to get the company back to profit. So that's the argument they're making. I don't buy that, to be quite honest. But here's the company they're working with. Integral Ad Science, right? Well, in June 2018, Vista Equity Partners acquired Integral Ad Science. Okay, you may be going, so? (laughs) Well, here is Vista Equity Partners. Now, this isn't that big of a point. It's not, you know, Linda Yaccarino is directly from the World Economic Forum or, you know, tangentially and worked with that same discussion. It's all pro-vaccine. Well, you're on the surface working directly with the World Economic Forum. But see, as usual today, it's one step removed, right? So just because you'll know they're working with Integral Ad Science, well, Vista, Vista Equity Partners owns them. So you're working with the World Economic Forum. That's not a surprise. We should be very upfront about that. So people that are screaming free speech and ignoring this are dishonest people. Now, a shout out to 
except Dodge. Not familiar with the work, but this is where I originally saw this. I appreciate that. But they also mentioned something Garm. And in this case, it was the secondary saying, well, besides that, here's this. And that's what I just showed you. So I'm kind of doing it in reverse. But either way, here is the other thing that they're working with. Both of these are directly tied to the World Economic Forum and all about censorship and control of what you can do in your life. But free speech, though, right? He saved it, guys. Christine Ruby points out, isn't this what Shapiro was just talking about? This week, we're expanding our existing partnership with industry-leading brand safety partner, Integral Ad Sciences. This exclusive partnership will soon offer X's U.S. advertisers with premium vetted inventory within the context of the GARM safety and sustainability framework. So brands can further optimize their campaigns. It's the Global Alliance for Responsible Media. <laughs> this is Orwellian. I mean, it's a very alarming way. Now, I, I, you've, I've, you guys know my opinions on Shapiro in general. I, I find him to be a smart person, but I think he's pretty stupid when it comes to the partisanship stuff. Either way, how he says, how, here's how the World Economic Forum is quietly working to demonetize and deplatform right of center voices. Again, right there. Or, you know, just anybody saying things they don't want you to say. I don't know why smart people can't see past the obvious ridiculous or just choose not to because it's beneficial to them. Anybody stuck in the partisanship, I have no respect for. I shouldn't say that. There's people that don't know, but I'm I'm getting really tired of people that continue to get stuck in the two-party paradigm like you're in kindergarten. It is silly obvious today. Anyway, the point is he's making sure we see, aside from this only focusing on the right voice, that this entire thing is about focusing on trying to get rid of voices that they don't agree with. I mean, I'm just stressing the obvious here, but my God, I don't know how people keep going forward with this. So now you've got two of these groups that are directly connected to the World Economic Forum. The Global Alliance for Responsible Media has partnered with the World Economic Forum. So you have a direct partner. And you can see what they're going to do. They're focused on hate speech, bullying, disinformation. So really, these things are what we're really talking about. That's the focus of all of that. These things, bullying, child exploitation, in my opinion, are tools they use to censor hate speech and deep life, or just censor your speech. I don't buy for a second they care about child exploitation as they're pushing the trans agenda or the fact that they care about bullying while they're literally bullying people into getting a shot. Let's not pretend those things make sense. They're trying to censor your speech using things they think you care about. Now, Slow News Day points out a real example of this. According to Elon and X, uh, Garland Nixon accounts still up and visible, but with all of Garland's media content removed, is locked out because they can't verify he's him. Think about how ridiculous that is. This is the beginning of something I don't know, or maybe just boxing him out because they don't like what he's saying because he's very critical of all the things you might imagine, just like we are. Garland's a good guy, man. You should follow his content. What's crazy is that they're asking for him to verify himself, an account that he owns, which clearly, as you'll, as you, and there's another post, he has tried. They don't, they don't care. It says, take a look at his account and ask. That's how remotely possible Given the blue check mark, his voice is being silenced. Basically, that you know, I, I, you guys can decide for yourself whether because the blue check at this point is just your phone number, as far as it is with mine. So I don't. The blue check for some people has become this. It, I believe that's where it's going. And the moment they ask for anything more than your phone number, I'm going to have to leave, which, which is going to be terrible because this is uh, and this location is where everybody's going, which is unfortunate. I hate that. I don't like Twitter being a central point in all of this. But either way. At the moment, I, my opinion is this is just him getting boxed out because they don't like his opinions. It says, Garland Nixon's been blocked out of his verified account by Twitter who claimed they can't verify him as the account owner. Well-known radio host and political analyst who had the same account since 2009. Right? I mean, come on. Either way, 
what you know, you can listen to him for yourself. The point is that there's not any process. He basically just going, here's my information. And they're going, we don't know. I just don't buy it. I, I dealt with very similar things. And quite frankly, I kind of think that's what's going to happen to me soon. Just my pessimistic perspective seeing how I get censored on every platform all the time. But support Garland, support his work, because he's being censored re- right now on the free speech platform. Decensored News points out, as Reclaim the Net uh, HQ notes, X's, Twitter's leadership often sounds nearly indistinguishable today from the previous regime under Dorsey. The euphemistic language Jacarino uses here is actually identical. Healthy posts, healthy discourse, a healthier platform. I mean, you read this, it, it's exactly the same thing guys there this was a game and those of us that were had the courage to point that out or the wherewithal to see it are now being vindicated because this is a ploy shove somebody in your face that they frame as the hero the savior and everybody jumps on and then they go right back to the way it was and it takes those people either they don't want to follow up because they're benefiting from it or they don't it's hard for them to recognize that it changed again so they gaslight people And then you're screaming against a person with a million followers and they don't want to know. And the point is this dynamic happens over and over and over. And they're going to be getting into the idea. Oh, this is not the same one, but of, of ID verification, face scans. It's art. They they're saying it, it's coming your way. Well, don't worry though, because Tucker's on X now. So we know it's the good platform, right guys. Right. All right. Well, let's talk about some other ones though. How about rumble? I made this point just the other day more than once, but I want to make this point again because right now people are all about pointing out that BlackRock and Vanguard are the top, uh, two of the top funders, top, I think the top two funders of, of uh, backers of Hawaiian Electric, which is obviously relevant, very relevant. Which, as, as I said, if you're highlighting the obviously relevant point that they're both the primary investors of Hawaiian Electric, yet you continue to ignore that same point with Rumble, you may be a dishonest person. <laughs> Hashtag the more you know. That's, it's the same thing. It's very easy to look up. And yes, that is Rumble. It's easy to look up. It's very, very, very embarrassing that there are people that are that dishonest that are going to come out and go, we're going to make a whole thing about BlackRock and Vanguard. We're going to go after Fox and CNN and all of them. But we're going to pretend we don't know this is how this is going. I mean, come on, guys. There's too many grifters out there today. Question at all. Here's the page if you want to look it up for yourself. But they also got Stanley Morgan Stanley, Charles Schwab. I think JP Morgan is in here. You know, all the good guys, right? Also, one other point before we get into the, the couple Maui points. I, I, I have a Gitter account. I have pretty much every account everywhere for the most part. I always like to see what's going on. And on today, I was, I was posting something and, and something popped up and said, hey, verify your account. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. All these people on, on, the, on the Trump platform are going, bad guy Twitter and the blue checks, right? And then Gator's over here going, verify, let it prove. You know, it's not being forced, but neither is not, it's not being forced on Twitter either, right? So that's the same. Here's what's not the same. When I went through the process and gave them no information, of course, they ask wildly invasive information. Where do you reside? And again, this is just a few of them. What's your occupation? Give us your headshot. Not, not the shot. They want your image, your face image. That's a facial scan. Are you affiliated with any communities or organizations? Or check this one out. Who knows? <laughs> there was three of those in Chinese. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I thought that was kind of interesting as I'm continuing to go, go through this. And, the, and, and all of this was required to be verified. Of course, then you can also point out the, uh, I think, oh, I, I might have didn't, maybe I didn't bring up the one image. Hold on, see if it pops up. Hold on, let me see if I saved it still. Oh, yeah, it's this one. Oh, was the first one? 
Yeah, just the very so the very first one, you know. So here we are on a platform that is literally asking for some kind of information in Chinese while you've got Mr. Anti-Chinese over here hosting his entire show on Getter. <laughs> I find that I kind of find that funny to be honest, but I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a glitch. Either way, the point is that this is all this is I look, I'm willing to bet you that Twitter is going to be way more invasive. That's just my opinion. I see it coming and I'm ready to go away. But the point is that right now, what's happening on Gator is way more invasive. I just think that's kind of ridiculous. Everyone doesn't want to acknowledge these things when it's on the platform that they want to support or, you know, however you look at that. I just think we need to reflect on that right now, guys. And I think, you know, I'm really hoping that most people out there are very, very aware of this stuff. And that, again, it's more of a, a media presentation of the falsity. You know, they want you to think that's what everyone's involved in. So you fall into that trap, sort of like the injection. But I don't know. I, I just I really hope people can see through the narrative right now or see through the the players in all of this. And as always, like things like Maui, it's overwhelming how many people are lying and misrepresenting. There's so much going on right now or just pushing narratives that we can't verify. And that's a, you. Can, I, I'm all about asking. You can I mean, again, you could get up and lie. That's your right. Free speech. But real there are people out there that are pushing as if you can prove something, you know, like the even further into the direct energy conversation, which I still don't think we can prove was even involved, even though I do think there's interesting overlaps. But, the, you know, the blue thing, oh, blue things are left. And it's just like it just doesn't make sense when you think these things through. Now, look, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's something to it. And I've looked into it. But the idea that like, oh, there was a blue house left. Well, yeah, but here's a red one. That weird red one that's left all by itself, and nobody includes that when they go, only blue things are left. Or how it makes sense that you would argue because they're arguing that the directed energy weapon only will, won't burn blue things. But then what about the fire? You know, the fire that raged afterward. We're going to pretend that those blue things didn't burn in the fire. I mean, it's just the point is it doesn't, there's no logic to it. Is the fire program that burn blue things? Like, it doesn't make much sense. But people are all about it. Now, look, I'm not telling you not to ask questions. I'm all about that. But just be careful. There's people that are pushing things that they act like they can prove that we can't. It's about being objective today as much as possible. Now, here are some things that we can prove. that are, This is the kind of stuff that I think gets missed in the wholesale jump for the bigger story. And a lot of people are pointing this out. This is a very public point. But these are kind of things where people should be accountable for this. Only $700 a person for the Biden admin that Biden is offering the people in Maui. Yet FEMA officials, who now I hear is actually $1,300 a night, are staying... Well, as I said, but yet FEMA officials who, despite having an office on Oahu, only just set up their first relief center on August 16th, are staying in a thousand dollar a night luxury hotel. That's very easy to prove. They're staying in a very expensive hotel while they're only giving people seven hundred dollars, apparently per family. Some people are saying here is FEMA's documentation. I mean, here, I'll just go to the actual documents. so You guys can see it for yourself. FEMA opens first disaster recovery center on Maui, August 16th. So you went, you, so you have eight days. So you're telling me you have an, you have a, a FEMA office on the a couple islands over. You could have been there in the same day, but yet it took you eight days to get there. And here is the actual press conference with KJP and the woman from FEMA. They say, we have been on the ground since day one. Okay. So first of all, almost every resident you talk to says that's a blatant lie, but you know, who knows? Either they were lying about that or they were there from day one and it took them somehow eight days to set up the very first recovery center. Hmm. I don't know. You guys can decide. You're smart people. It says we have an office here on Oahu that is staffed with personnel and an integration member and integration members that work side by side with the state of Hawaii each day and every day. So we were able 
we were able to able to quickly integrate. That's what, that's what it says to with the gov- to integrate in with the governor's team as the fire started to rise. As the fires started to rise, I it just makes me sick. These are kind of things that are being ignored, or rather, just it's that's crazy to me. It's like East Palestine and all the rest of them. Well, Maui is now suing Electric Hawaiian, as we predicted, which is not hard to predict. I mean, it actually it makes sense, but at the same time, makes me skeptical. Claims that utility responsible for deadly wildfires, Maui County sues them over deadly line of fires, <clears throat> and here was. Oh, I thought I had one more thing. Uh, that's the last point. Well, on this, just remember my point on this in general. Oh, and by the way, I'm glad I for, didn't forget this. So right afterward, Hawaiian Electric did see a jump in their stock. I think it was reported as 20%, which made me wildly suspicious. But now it is completely tanked. So on one note, good, because they deserve to be held accountable for their lack of spending and directly an upkeep for safety. But I also wonder whether that immediate surge was sort of a moment to let the people involved cash out before it collapsed. It makes no sense to see a 20% jump in their stock while this is going on. That doesn't make any sense to me. I think something very suspicious happened. Either way, just like PG&E in California, they were accused of this. They were said, it's your fault. You didn't do it right. And what did they do? They gained from it. They benefited. They charge more. They get to shut down when it's windy. They, it just, it's, they gained from it. So something tells me as Hawaiian Electric turns itself into this green model they want to use and somehow benefits from all this, it doesn't makes me skeptical. As they spent $245,000 on fire safety in the year and everything else went to green energy. And gee, then they had fires. I just I find that hard to believe. So keep track of this, guys. I definitely think that there's more to this, but let's be careful we don't fall for all the bombastic claims we can't prove. Ask them. Entertain all of them because that's intelligent as much as they scare you away from that. Never dismiss something, but it can't tell we prove it. Stick with what we can prove. On the note of one foreign policy point that I'm going to follow up on in the next show, responsible statecraft reports, <laughs> baffling, shocking news that we never expected, or the exact opposite. 15 U.S.-backed officers had a hand in 12 West African coups. <gasps> shocking. <laughs> Obviously, we all knew this, but I think what's funny about this is that this is coming out now as the Nigeria situation continues to bubble up. They're just losing control of their narratives all over the place. But the State Department doesn't know anything about it or doesn't want to. (laughs) The point is, this is what's going on, guys. They are the ones trying to overthrow countries and control everything at the expense of people's safety while screaming the opposite. Now, you don't have to frame that as they're the bad guy, other people the good guy. I think all these governments are willing to do that. Just realize that they are not the good entity that they present themselves as. Most of them aren't. Now, starting off with the main point here, I think this is definitely back. Now, I've been really reluctant in getting into that. Now, the reason, by the way, I started with the point about Twitter and censorship, or just Maui for that matter, is that they are ramping up reasons, justifications, tools to control the narrative yet again. Maybe the election, maybe for this, maybe this is more important, but it's definitely here. Oh, we all see it. All the hallmarks, actions are happening, schools are shutting down, masks are being used again. I just can't believe it. As much as I didn't, it doesn't surprise me, I just didn't see how this would even make sense. I don't know how anybody is still buying this. Anybody. Even the people that bought it to begin with. So here's inside paper. Just in, COVID cases continue to climb in L.A. County. Health officials warn of possible triple-demic. It's like they're psychic, right? It's like, they, how, long, how long have they been going flu, COVID, RSV? Well, quite a while, in fact. Even back during 2022. And it's going, well, that's going to be a problem. How could they possibly have known that? Except that's not what happened, though. Remember, flu disappeared. RSV was a hype. 
suddenly adults started getting it, which quite frankly, I don't even think was RSV. I think we're just dealing with this nebulous respiratory immune destroying problem. Overall, it gets labeled whatever they want it to be labeled. But my point is that they just keep pushing the same concept. Triple demic, three things, same time. Never has that actually happened. Not the tridemic, a bidemic, the flu, what they call it in the beginning, the flu and COVID together. I forget what they even called that now. They had a weird name of combining the two. None of these happen. So all it is getting you hyped up about the unknown. That's what all of this is about. Even, them, even when pushed, they'll tell you, well, this is not more dangerous, not more transmissible. So then why are you pushing the shots again? Why are you closing schools? Well, because we don't know it could be. Well, so could anything. The world could end tomorrow. Anything could be more dangerous tomorrow. The idea that they just push this because of that, that's the agenda. There is something driving this. That's the real point here. Now, here is CNN. Preliminary testing of wastewater in the U.S. has detected the new highly mutated virus. Well, guess what? We told you this was going to be a primary role in this. Whitney and I talked about this in 2021. I believe it was from Philadelphia where they did the pilot test pilot on this. They were testing wastewater. And even then, during all of that, they even found examples that proved this, well, just proved that they suggested that this was around before this all started. And they were like, shh, don't point at that part of it. No, Canada says the same thing. Shut up. We're not talking about that. We only want to predict future pandemics. We don't want to prove that this was around beforehand. God forbid that we challenge our own narrative. But that's what happened, though. Don't forget, there's probably eight, nine different countries that have found evidence of whatever this may be. Even if you want to think it's some other flu or whatever, but the point is they can prove that the same things were being found 2019, 2020 before it started, well outside of China. Now, you could still argue it started there, but you have to acknowledge it started at a different time, (laughs) even if you think it's really there at all, because that's a whole other part of this, that this could have been one gigantic illusion. But I'm not going to get into that so much today just because it's this is meant to be more of a toolkit for people that are trying to wake others up to the illusion in general. But here, I'll just grab. I actually use the same image from this interview. It's an important one. Danny Rancourt's been doing great work on this for a long time. But my my point in this interview with him in general was just, it's not, you can overlap this with the idea that maybe the COVID illness is not even there or even further that the viruses don't exist in general, which both of which you should not dismiss guys. There's plenty of interesting evidence that opens those doors completely. At the same time, I get attacked by that crowd because they aren't happy with the fact that I don't feel that it's completely as solid as they do. They somehow think that I'm on the other side because I'm being objective, but that's okay too. (laughs) People can come up to their own mind. But my point is that this is in the middle of all of it. And his point was, look, whatever your stance is, the data proves that this is an illusion, meaning that you could, let's just say you don't, don't, his point was you don't need any of those things. You could have used, and I'm going to get into this today. This is an important part. Not, I guess I am kind of getting into it, but the point that pre-COVID-19, whatever that is, you could have decided to use the False PCR cycle threshold, the flu and pneumonia combination, as somebody's already pointed out in the chat, PIC, right? We've talked about, we nailed that down right in the beginning. Pneumonia, influenza, and COVID were combined, and that was the number they gave you for COVID. It's very public. I showed it a thousand times. Why didn't that wake people up? I don't know. But the point, though, is that had you wanted to, had you decided to just make this up, the data was there. You could have moved the flu into COVID, used cycle threshold, used vaccine side effects to conflate with this, and a thousand other things. In fact, I'm blanking on all of a sudden. Um, Derek had a great article about this. What was that called? I'm completely blanking on it now. As usual, Derek was way ahead on this one as well. But there was the study about this in regard to 
basically the bottom line of, I, I can't remember the name of it now, so I'm not going to search for it, but Derek wrote the article about this where the, stud, the U.S. government wrote the, wrote the study, basically saying that, you know, you don't, the, you don't need a pandemic. All you need is the fear of a pandemic, and people will, will forego their rights. They, they, they say pathogen, but, it, you know, bacteria, anything. All they need is the threat of something. And they, they explicitly write, even if it's not real, the threat alone will drive people into relinquishing their rights for telling on their neighbor. The governments did these studies. So just consider the possibility that it could have been an entire illusion. Now, using the wastewater and continuing to tell us something is coming, and as somebody points out today, how do we even verify this stuff? You don't. We're back yet again to trusting the institutions that we all just caught lying. Or not doing that, right? That's what's really happening. They're going BA26, XBB, Eris, 95247, all over the place. Just making stuff up. It's just, I'm serious. So there's probably five or six variants. They're all hyping up right now. And the question is, are they lying? Is it real? Is it even there? Or are these other false positives of some kind? Now, this is from August. It's saying, with the new COVID-19 vac- will the new COVID-19 vaccine work against the BA286 variant? Of course, as you saw her say, yes, of course, absolutely. But that's not true. I mean, verifiably untrue, especially since the one they're using right now, they're still going forward with, is based alone on the on XBB15. Alone. That's the, and then I'll, I'll, I could read it from this article too, but I have it highlighted somewhere else. Okay, so what happens with BA, BA286? Well, they're going to try to convince you that it's the same. It's, it's just a little different. They don't know that, though. You see, what they're saying is it's, a, it's in the same line. Apparently, everything since Omicron is under the umbrella of Omicron. Just everything. I don't believe that, if it's even the whole real in the first place. But the point, and let's not forget that Omicron was the one that changed everything. The weird variant that popped up in the middle of Botswana that they claim came from South Africa that came from four diplomats. I'll include this for you guys to look at, for those that have never heard that before. Here's the government of Botswana admitting that the new virus, and that that's what this one is, B11529, is, is Omicron. Even though that's B112529, which argues there was one before that in the same lineage, but they called this one Omicron and go forward from there. Think about how this stuff makes sense. The new virus was detected on four foreign nationals who had entered Botswana on the 7th of November on a diplomatic mission. They had diplomatic immunity. Botswana later came out and said, we will not reveal who they were or where they came from. Why? Everything about this screams agenda. So the point is, going forward from there, they tell you to work, but there are very, there are, there are, again, from within the narrative, assuming these are real, there are mutations in every single one of these things. Based on the Delta Omicron discussion, they themselves admit that those changes made it basically moot, and that's why they had to change to doing bivalence and so on. So now that they've done, and every time, what do the people say? Well, it's too late. The variants are already passed. Well, we'll get into that. And that's what even McColl and the rest of them are saying. It's too late. I don't think they care, though. They're going to push it anyway, just like last time. COVID heiress. What to know about the variant EG5 dominating U.S. cases. It's weird how each one of these articles frame this variant is the main focus. Who's tracking new COVID variant BAX, apparently, amid fears it could lead to new explosion of cases. Point is, just be scared. Unknown stuff and fears and concerns that we can't really explain. So just be scared. Oh, and get the shot. Definitely get the shot. That's what this is all really about. New COVID variants, EG5, FL151, and B286 are spreading. What do we do? Well, here's probably why most of this is being allowed to happen so flimsily without much verification, because these three people were put in control. 
that if you like the establishment's panicked, draconian, and disastrous responses to COVID, lockdowns, school closures, mass and vax mandates, censorship of dissent, etc., well, you'll love Biden's recent picks that had the three leading U.S. public health agencies. Every single one of these people are aggressive, not just open, aggressive, like to the point to where they would censor, scream, and shout down anybody that says anything. Masks don't work. Vaccines are hurting. Aggressive. Insisted mass prevent transmission. Hype to COVID threat. Praise censorship. They are lockstep. So not, no, even though we all, even though they admitted the establishment that most of these things didn't work, that lockdowns hurt children, that masks didn't really affect the way, that, we'll get into all of it. But even though that's the case and the vaccines, even Fauci admitted didn't work, they're going all of it the same. How's that work? <laughs> Everything's going to be exactly the same because none of it worked. You ready for that, guys? Well, let's start with the PCR test. I do think that's a most, one of the most important cruxes of this illusion. So clearly we can see that the variant game is exploding. Everyone's pointing at all sorts of things. We can't really verify it. And let's not forget that the PCR test itself is incapable of testing for these new variants just on a whim. I proved this more than once throughout the process, and even they were forced to admit that they take samples from large areas and extrapolate out their guessing. They're guessing. My argument is these things aren't even able to test for these variations. Remember the very beginning part where they had to do the, the, gene, the, the protein drop, or was the gene dropout, or the... Basically, they said when they first got the Delta, they were like, well, all we did was, if you don't see this, then we say that's Delta. Before, when they didn't see that, that was considered a negative. Now, the negative was considered Delta. That's not a joke. Of course, they just made variant. There's still a, a negative sense point in there. But overall, that's the same test we're talking about. To argue this thing can somehow test for the 500 variants they claim are out there is ludicrous. But just in case you're con- you were confused, make sure you notice that PCR tests are the gold standard, they say, for COVID tests. That's 2023 for May. So, so there's weirdly enough people out there that are telling us that COVID CPCR, PCR tests are a thing of the past. No, they're still the gold standard they're telling you right now, even though they're not testing for the things they're telling you they are and that they're rife with false positives. Now, I felt it was good to revisit this. You guys know if you've been watching this show a long time that I've gone over this what, 15 times? I, it's, it's these kind of stories that I think are incredible. Like, again, and, and, and not even in a negative way. Like, I know I say this sometimes as sort of like a begrudgment, like, oh, well, get the big guys to talk about it. But genuinely speaking, like, if, if, if we could just get this in front of somebody that would get this reach, I guarantee this would be a story around the world. Because it's so ridiculous. It is so important and so on the nose of not only what's about to happen again, but what we just went through. So get this in front of somebody. I don't even care if you say it's from me. Get it in front of somebody to get this out there so this story can reach people. Because this would destroy their narrative. If you haven't seen this story, sit down because it's going to blow your mind. New York Times, 2007. Faith in quick tests leads to epidemic that wasn't. Can you guess what that test is? probably right. Before long, 2007, Dr. Catherine Kirkland, an infectious disease specialist at Dartmouth, had a chilling thought as they were having coughing and sneezing and so on. Could she be seeing the start of a whooping cough epidemic, also called pertussis? So they, they start checking and asking and, you know, looking around. And it was, it was the start. This whole thing was the start of a bizarre episode at the medical center that they called the story of the epidemic that wasn't. For months, Nearly everyone involved thought that this medical center had a huge whooping cough outbreak with extensive ramifications. Nearly 1,000 healthcare workers at this hospital in Lebanon, New Hampshire, were given a preliminary test 
and furloughed from work until their results were in. 142 people, including Dr. Herndon, were told they appeared to have the disease. And thousands were given antibiotics and a vaccine for protection. Hospital beds were taken out of commission, including some in intensive care. Sound familiar? Vaccines, treatment, hospital shutdown, wings closed. Well, then, about eight months later, eight months later, this is not in the middle of a huge COVID pandemic time, right? This is in a normal time in the middle of one center. Eight months later, healthcare workers were dumbfounded to receive an email message from the hospital informing them that the whole thing was a false alarm. Now, we'll get into the details, but just that alone is crazy. Eight months, vaccines given, hospitals, treatments didn't happen. Not a single case of whooping cough was confirmed with a definitive test, which is what we talk about today, actually growing the bacterium, Bortella pertussis, in the laboratory. Not taking the PCR test or any other test that's actually valid in this case, but actually growing it with a sample in the, in, in the laboratory. Now, here's where you get into the overlap of the idea of, of purification, of isolation, which I still argue, and ha- despite yeah, the very same crowd that seems to weirdly say I don't say this, even though I've always said this, they have never per- isolated this. That, I, in my opinion, based on the only gold standard we seem to have, which is Koch's postulates, you can argue that's archaic, but as far as I can tell, it's still regarded as the gold standard for isolation. Nobody's ever met Koch's postulates. Now, there are papers that say that, but you can read those papers and prove that they did not meet the four tenets of Koch's postulates. I, I'm not going to go into that. It's a whole complicated topic, but I've repeatedly said that. I'll make that point again, I think, when I get to the Moderna part about the CDC. I play that clip every time. The, the chi- China admitted they didn't do it then. Now, I'll get to that in a second. My point, though, is that this... This point we're talking about in the lab is important because in the lab, even in this context, you could arguably argue you found something when ultimately if you don't truly, because the whole point from people like Dr. Kaufman is that isolation or purification has meaning to it. It doesn't mean that you point out that that's the virus in a, in a Petri dish full of other things. It's that you isolate it by itself alone from everything else. I don't know why that's such a, con- a contra. Uh, contentious topic for everybody. I mean, I do because it's a propaganda narrative, but the whole COVID thing. But really, I think we can quite clearly prove that's never happened. Even look, there's even people like Dr. Peter McCullough who argue that they have done it, shows that shows the Chinese paper and so on. No, I, I disagree. But we talk and we're I've interviewed him. And the point is, that we, we're oh, it's OK that we can have different opinions. That's called being, you know, an adult. We're allowed to disagree. But I think what we can point out is in that paper specifically still that you could argue. And even we've had this conversation that the idea of Koch's postulates is not something that a lot of these modern day scientists even believe is necessary anymore. Okay, well, if that's the case, then what is the gold standard? (laughs) Well, they point at Koch's postulates. So you get my point. Now, I'm going to leave that for the moment. But my point is that that's important to understand. That today there's a lot of stuff that happens that's not even technically meeting the, the bare minimum. Ordinary respiratory diseases like the common cold that's what they were affected with. That's what they found out. Just normal things. Now, it says infectious disease specialists say the problem in this place in 2007 was that they placed too much faith in a quick and highly sensitive molecular test that led them astray. Can you guess what that test was? Infectious disease experts say such tests are coming into increasing use and may be the only way to get a quick answer in diagnosing diseases like whooping cough, legionnaires, bird flu, tuberculosis, and SARS, and deciding whether an epidemic is underway. Now, what they get into in here is that there's a use for this, they would argue, but it's not sound. It's not definitive. It is a test that should be used to give you an insight that then you later... And that's what everybody even argued in the beginning of all this. 
even with COVID, but that just dropped and became COVID-19, PCR test, gold standard, nothing else matters. Even though we all should know, and I'll play Carrie Moles in a second, that that's provably false. That you will find what you look for, especially when we get into the cycle threshold. But I digress. We'll get back to it. There are no national data. There are no national data on pseudo epidemics caused by an over reliance on such molecular tests, said Dr. Trish Pearl, an epidemiologist at Johns Hopkins and past president of the Society of Healthcare Epidemiologists of America. So total conspiracy theorist, right? But she said pseudo epidemics happen all the time. For those new to the channel, I'm being I'm joking because the point is that they say something that the mainstream doesn't want they're all immediately conspiracy theorists the dartmouth case may have been one of the largest but it was by no means an exception so they've seen these before just like we've talked about oh i didn't actually find that article god i want to remember that the derrick's article the point is that they do these things they study these things they notice these things my point is when this happened they noticed this and went okay i see how we can use that she says it's a problem We know it's a problem. My guess is that what happened at Dartmouth is going to become more common. That leads to the question of why rely on them at all? At face value, obviously, they shouldn't be doing it. And in case you were guessing this whole time, at Dartmouth, the decision was to use the PCR test. It was a molecular test that until recently, in 2007, was confined to molecular biology laboratories. Right? So they're telling us it's, it's... Obviously, they shouldn't have been using it this way. It's a problem. We know it's a problem. So my point is the government at this point, in my opinion, was like, okay, we're going to choose to do that exactly the way that they found was was what caused the illusion? Well, yeah, exactly. Well, it, it, that may shock you unless you realize that that's pretty exactly what happened. It says, yet epidemiologists say one of the most troubling aspects of the pseudo-epidemic is that all the decisions seemed so sensible at the time. Right? To the people that were being told to do it, well, they saw symptoms. It was a cold, but they saw a runny nose. And that's where it gets a little bit more interesting. It says almost everything about the clinical presentation of pertussis, especially early pertussis, whooping cough, is not very specific. Exactly, just like what we're dealing with here. That was the first problem in deciding whether there was an epidemic at all. The second was the PCR test, the quick test to diagnose the disease with whooping cough. There are probably a hundred different PCR protocols and, and methods use, being used throughout the country. Well, isn't that weird that all the way from 2007 to today, it's the same thing? You'd almost think that they would go, hey, let's make sure we're all on the same page. No, no, because that makes it too easy to see. I mean, I'm not, I'm, this is exactly what happened. Every state had their own cycle threshold. Every state had their own style. Everything was done without any kind of coordination. Same thing with the masks. There was no guidelines. People were just making whatever they wanted. And that happened, actually. People were selling all sorts of dangerous. The ones they were giving people were dangerous in their own right. But people were making things with terrible, low-quality products. And they just said, just wear a mask. That's good. Everything about this was dishonest and criminal, in my opinion. Hundreds of different PCR protocols. And it is unclear, she says, how often any of them are accurate. Same thing today. We have had a number of outbreaks where we believe that despite the presence of PCR positive results, the disease was not whooping cough. Sound familiar? Despite all the positive tests, they're not actually with COVID. At Dartmouth, when the first suspect of, of whooping cough cases emerged and the PCR test showed whooping cough, doctors believed it. Well, the results seemed completely consistent with their symptoms. That's how the whole thing got started, she says. Then the doctors decided to actually test people who had severe coughing. 
Quote, because we had cases we thought were pertussis, whooping cough, and because we had vulnerable patients at the hospital, well, we lowered our threshold. She said, anyone who had a cough got a PCR test, and so did anyone with a runny nose who worked with high-risk patients, and boom, bing, bang, boom, what do you know? We had a major outbreak, because everyone that got tested, by and large, got told they were positive. That's how we ended up with 134 suspect cases. Remember, none of them, none of them were whooping cough. And that, she added, was why 1,445 healthcare workers ended up taking antibiotics. 4,524 healthcare workers at the hospital, or 72% of all the healthcare workers there, were vaccinated. How much you want to bet some of those people had consequences because of that? Maybe some of them died. Maybe some of them got permanently disabled. Maybe they got hospitalized. That happens with all vaccines. You may disagree with that, but it's the obvious fact. I didn't say what percentage. The point is that you got lied to, or rather they got fooled, they mistake, it was a mistake. 4,500 people got vaccines that didn't need them because of PCR test. You don't think somebody noticed this and were like, mm-hmm, notes, got it, understood. If we stop, had stopped there, this is one of the most important parts. If they had stopped right there, they vaccinated all these people. If they had just stopped, she says, I think we would have agreed that we had an outbreak and that we controlled it. That's terrifying. I think that's what they wanted from this, but people like us screwed it all up. Had they just gotten through this and said, we did it. We told why we, we predicted that right at the beginning. Sort of the mission accomplished moment, right? They could have gone forward saying, we did it. It's gone. But the point was, it was never really there. Problem is, I think, I actually believe the vaccine side effects were not something they necessarily intended. Because I mean, it doesn't really make much sense to intentionally harm all the people that were willing to follow your orders. But interestingly enough, it kind of exploded. And now the same, you basically have the exact opposite which is horrible. But had that not happened, they could have been like, we solved it. It's over. We did it. They would have. And they're still actually doing that, remember. That's what they're actually saying. The reason COVID's down, the vaccines worked. Some people still say that. It says, but epidemiologists at the hospital and working for the states of New Hampshire and Vermont decided to take extra steps after all of this to confirm, because they're honest, Dartmouth doctors sent samples from 27 patients they thought had whooping cough. Scientists tried to grow the bacteria. Finally, they had their answer. There was zero, zero whooping cough in any of the samples. Zero. They could only get suitable blood samples from 39 patients. The others had gotten the vaccine, which itself elicits pertussis antibodies. So that's another interesting overlap to this. That's happening today, too. So you're giving people these injections with spike proteins, one, causing illness, which despite what they say is very clearly happening, with the shedding and the spike protein causing according to the Salk Institute and plenty of other peer-reviewed science, literally causing disease, which can then be spread again. That's proven. Even by Dr. Warren, all these people that are involved with the very understanding and creation of these things are saying, yes, it can shed. Yes, it's cytotoxic. Yes, it continues to be made in your body. So my point, though, is that you're giving someone an injection that causes these things, then you test for those things, and they go, hey, you're sick. That's also happening. Because it's finding the same thing it's looking for. That they, it's amazing that we never questioned why it makes sense to create the very thing in your body that your body's trying to fight. Or that the vaccine's trying to fight, wherever they frame that. You know, that you're giving your body instructions to kill the thing that your body's making. Or that it can create issues with your body that it then relates your body with that problem. And then you get things like antibody-dependent enhancement. Goes on to say, quote, it was going on for months. But in the end, 
the conclusion was clear. There was no epidemic. Quote, we were all somewhat surprised and we were left in a very frustrating situation about what to do when the next outcome outbreak comes. Well, the government knew. They immediately said, we know what we're going to do. That's my opinion. Quote, the big message is that every lab is vulnerable to having false positives. They don't want to tell you that today. In fact, they'll screen the opposite. It says no single test result is absolute. And that is even more important with test results from PCR. <clears throat> now, obviously, the argument is, well, it's all changed and they're better now. Well, that's not even true. Yes, they're different. Yes, they've been changed. But the point is the same. The evidence is the same. And it's not hard to see. It's being used the same way. And I'll show you. Here's inversionism, again, doing a great job, saying, oh, look, I caught the CDC scrubbing another document from the Internet that shows they intentionally manipulated the PCR cycle threshold count, which is important to understand. The idea is you have to, well, to make this, actually, you know what we should do? Let's play Kerry Mullis' clip first, because he does do a good, oh, you know what? I'm not sure I downloaded this. Can I do it from here? Nice. So this is Kerry Mole speaking about somebody asked him specifically about a PCR test. And here's what he had to say. This is important to understand kind of the almost almost like a spiritual perspective on how this works and how the cycle threshold is used to increase what you're looking at or really to intense and magnify, essentially. How do they um, misuse PCR to estimate uh, all these so supposed free viral RNAs that may or may not be there? Uh and by the way, I, I, I see these are things that I tend to forget because I think it's common knowledge. But if you don't know, this is the person who, who created the PCR test, Kerry Mullis. He is now dead. It's just, um, it's, I think misuse PCR is not quite... I don't think you can misuse PCR. No, the results, the interpretation of it. See, if you if you if you can say, if 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 they wanted, if if they could find this virus in you at all, and with PCR, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. It starts making you believe in the sort of Buddhist notion that everything is contained in everything else, right? I mean, because if you can amplify one single molecule up to a to something that you can really measure which PCR can do, then there's just very few molecules that you don't have at least one single one of them in your body, okay? So that could be thought of as a misuse of it just to, to claim that it's meaningful. And it is. Now, there's, there's very little of what they call HIV and what's been brought out here by Phil Pott and, and, and Isai already. The measurement for it is not, is not exact at all. It's not, it's not as good as our measurement for things like apples. An apple is an apple. You know, you can get something that's kind of like, if you've got enough things that look kind of like an apple and you stick them all together, you might think of it as an apple. But, and, and HIV is like that. Those tests are all based on things that are invisible and they are, the results are inferred in a sense. PCR is separate from that. It's just a process that's used to make a whole lot of something out of something. That's what also, it is. Um, it's, they, but it's not, it doesn't tell you that you're sick and it doesn't tell you that the thing you ended up with really was going to hurt you or anything like that. So the bottom line, and I did find this, by the, by the way, while I was, while I was doing that, what, what essentially what he's talking about, where was I here? Here we go. Essentially what he's, what the, the bottom line is the cycle threshold is something that can be amplified to, you know, think of it like, mag it's not the same thing, but think of it like magnification. 
right? So you can magnify, increase, and the cycle, every cycle number is an increase in the magnification. <clears throat> now, his point is that the, if you continue to amplify, quite literally, you'll find anything. Now, that's when he, he's talked about this in a very interesting way about how it like, makes you believe in God. But the point is that if you continue to cycle this up, People, especially when if you argue there's a circulating pathogen, everybody like that's also the point about you can have pathogens on you and not get sick for any number of reasons, whether you had pre-existing antibodies from before this that they don't want to talk about, which I could show you those studies, but I won't get into. But there's two peer review studies that show that a majority of people before COVID ever started had pre-existing antibodies to COVID-19. Work that out for yourself. The point, though, is that that means that you could test further and further and you'll find what you say is COVID-19. And then you go, oh, they're sick, they're sick. It's, a, it's asymptomatic. Well, no, you just cycled up high enough. So I'm going to include this, by the way. This was called the, the rise of authoritarianism, the parasite stress theory to lockstep. Now, the point, and this is Derek's article from 2020. The point was, it says, according to parasite stress hypothesis, authoritarian governments are more likely to emerge in regions characterized by high prevalence of disease-causing pathogens. Basically saying that, Due to the invisible nature of these, these pathogens, whether bacteria or virus, it says historically depends substantially on adherence to ritualized behavioral practices that reduce infectious risk, that society tends to promote a collectivist worldview when faced with these things, favoring obedience and conformity to the popula- from the population. There's one main point in here. It says the authors also note that the government which desired more authoritarian powers, including full-blown fascist or genocide, could achieve this goal by promoting widespread mortality and morbidity from infectious diseases. I was just going to try to find the one part where he says that it doesn't even have to be, exist, right? It doesn't have to be present, but I don't want to try to find it. Anyway, read the article. It's a fantastic article. And the point is that I, they studied this. This, was a, this is government information. And then he talks about the lockstep part of the Rockefeller document and, and how that's very clear that this was being used to drive us into this situation. Now, back to the cycle threshold point. This is what inversionism was pointing out. This is a document showing, and I'll show you in one second, that they are hiding to manufacture the narrative that it is a pandemic of the unvaccinated because they were still receiving 40 plus cycle count tests. Now, what I think it's not just about 40 plus, it's about anything arguably over about 25 to 30. And that's based on all the literature that you can find that anything over that you'll kind of just find almost anything you want. And that's why. Still, to this day, they're using 35 to 40 cycle threshold for people that are supposedly sick. And then for breakthrough, which is anytime anybody has an injection in their body and then they get tested, well, that's 28. And guess what, though? Even still, we're seeing predominantly more cases in the vaccinated, even with a lower cycle threshold. Imagine if they had it up the way they did before. Now, here's the document he found. This is from 2021. COVID vaccine breakthrough case investigation. Right, where it very clearly shows you that they have it set to under 28. Even though right now on all the rest of the documents you can see, and this is only for only for breakthrough. It's weird. Sometimes these things won't really zoom in for some reason. I don't know why. No, it doesn't matter. You guys can see it. Here is a document from Ontario. That is so strange. <laughs> I don't know why. Just do that, I guess. There we go. Specimens for COVID-19 sequencing. For this, and this is specifically for breakthrough. Here's a document from Ontario from 2021. 
COVID-19 PCR testing and cycle thresholds. Well, here's right where it has it listed. We have developed PCR tests in our lab and a positive and negative cutoff points. The cutoff point for positive, 38. This means that if the virus is found before 38 cycles are completed, you're considered positive. The negative cutoff is 40 cycles. That's ludicrous. Ludicrous. Now here is another, it's all from inversionism. External peer review of the PCR test. November 2020. It's amazing, right? You can get peer review. 2020, and they just don't care. Aren't those the people screaming trust the science? Definitely. Here's what it says. The most important part. Read the whole thing. It's important. But it says, why is important, why is, what is important when designing PCR test and the qualitative RT-PCR test described in the Drosten publication, which is the publication that is used around the world to argue these things are valid in this context. Even though Kerry Moles just said, it does not tell you whether you're sick. It tells you whether something is present. And even then, when using 30 to 40 40 cycle threshold, you'll find whatever you're looking for. You see how this game is played? They know all of this. The point is that just by saying it's there does not mean you're sick or that you're even going to be transmissible or that you can spread something. That's what they call asymptomatic, which is by and large false positives. And that's what it says right here. The number of amplification cycles, less than 30, preferably 25 to 30. In a case of virus detection, Uh, Over 35 cycles only detect signals which do not correlate with infectious virus as determined by isolation and cell culture. Okay, understand what they're saying. Comparing the PCR test to a cell culture. All right, so you take a person, you do a cycle threshold to, you know, what, 35 to 40, and you get get a result. Then you take the same person's uh, DNA or whatever you're testing, the mucus, and you test it. And they don't have the illness, but the PCR test said they did. Over and over. It says if someone is tested by PCR as positive when the threshold of 35 cycles or higher is used, as is the case in most laboratories in Europe and the U.S., still to this day, the probability that said person is actually infected is less than 3%. The probability that said result is a false positive, 97%. This is a peer-reviewed paper of all the information in regard to, and this is using their paper, the Corman Drosten et al. Peer-reviewed. But that doesn't matter though, right? Because the science is only the science if it says what they like. We know this. The creator of the test will tell us this. So here's the point. How they're, they're using this early on to create the illusion that there is a problem. Then they combine pneumonia. They combine the flu, which they've already been doing between flu and pneumonia. See, I always want to jump into these side points. It'll take me make the show. The point is that you could show the WHO document. You could show HHS where they were the ones screaming about this before COVID. Going, it's completely dishonest that you guys combine these two things, even though most of it's pneumonia and you've only ever tested like 100 cases of the flu or being lied to. And then they went, aha, we'll combine both of those with COVID. It's the same game. It's so very obviously dishonest, even if you think there is a COVID circulating. And again, thank you to Inversionism for doing great work. Here, he, he lists a couple of other documents as well. That's where I got the Carrie Mullis link as well. And then, oh, this was just him. Thank you, thank you Concerned. She says, Col- Ryan called this out a while ago, and he goes, that's why he's the best. I appreciate that, guys. So here is where this becomes important. So we have the example of all these variants popping off and all the different narratives circulating around. We have the information showing that a PCR test is, is being ramped up to find something that's not there. Or rather, just might be there that's not dangerous, but they're making it look that way because it's being found in everybody. But the question really becomes, what are they testing for? Right? What is this PCR testing for and how do they know to test for it? Well, that comes back to that main paper. 
right? Well, this all comes all the way back to the very first, what they claim is isolation of the genetic sequence from China, because that's what it points to, right? Well, this is where this is important to tie in for people that might not have seen this. Don't forget, we already talked about this. First, here is at the World Economic Forum, this is, uh, I forget if he's a representative of Moderna, I'll, I'll let it play out, but he's telling you that Moderna, which we can prove, never had a live virus sample in the possession. Never, not to this day. And you know this because I've made this clear. They've admitted this. So right there you can ask, okay, well then why did they ever need it? Especially if, as I'll show you, they made their injection two days after they got that sequence. From January 11th when the Chinese authorities shared the sequence, January 13th, they already had their injection. Okay, well, if we know they didn't isolate it, which they've admitted they didn't isolate it when they sent that, then what are we talking about exactly? And why has the data not been shared? No, they didn't isolate as a virus. That's the issue. No, you- the Chinese CDC speaking with MSNBC, saying that they did not isolate it when they sent this first. Now, of course, people go on to claim that they did. That paper later is pointed out. But the point is... They just took a genetic sequence, sent it all over the world, and that became the basis for Pfizer, Moderna, and all the rest. You know, while Trump is screaming, they didn't let us know, yet weirdly used their sequence blindly, without any verification or isolation, to be the basis for the vaccines we're still using. Work that one out for yourself. We're all being lied to by all of them, guys, including Trump, or that he's too blind to see what's going on they're using him for. Who knows? My point, though. Is here's, this is, first of all, the evidence of him telling you they never had it in their hands, which we already sh- showed you the evidence that proves that, but here he is just confirming that. Entering this, this golden era where uh, biology is going through its own digital transformation. We have more and more tools that digitize aspects of biology. So uh, at Illumina, for example, we make the machines that do genomic sequencing. So you put in blood or saliva or plant material, and we'll tell you uh, the <clears throat> DNA or the RNA in that sample. And there are a whole set of use cases uh, after you digitize you know, the, the data. And I'll give you a couple. Uh, one was during COVID. So we were called into China in the fall of 2020, late 2020, uh, sorry, 2019, to help them diagnose what was then a flu of unknown origin. And so we did the first sequence of the SARS-CoV-2 genome. That was published on January 10th. And around the world... Now, right there, the point is that you can get the sequence, or at least what you think is the sequence. This is what a lot of these doctors have screamed about. But if you haven't isolated it, which they admitted they hadn't at the time, it's very possible. And this this overlaps with the, the Kevin the uh, Kevin Kerner PhD work talking about the reality that this is contaminated with DNA. Well, this is where that happens, especially when you have not fully isolated what you then use and go forward with. What happened was uh, a couple of companies, so Moderna in Cambridge and, and BioNTech in, in Germany, took that data and started working on their vaccine. Now, what's interesting is that. Moderna, for example, has never had the live virus on their site. It was all a software problem from them. I remember talking to Stefan, and he was saying, look, we're basing our entire vaccine program on that data you published. It better be good data, because that's it. That's all we're using. Wow. And, uh, so why would, I mean, think about how alarming that is. As a company, making a shot that the government is mandating for people, you just... Or at least that may technically hadn't happened yet. My point, though, is that knowing this was going to be something given to people on a mass scale and ramped out and rushed everybody, children and all, you just take their word for it? That Why anybody would think that makes sense is beyond me. And you can get a sense that Moderna is one of, arguably you know, one of the most, uh, you know, uh, one of the more important companies in biology right now. And yet 
It's all a software problem for them. And so that's a use case of once you digitize biology, you can solve profound biological problems. Another it's a good example, thing you got it right. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> I always hate that. It's a good thing we got it right. Oh, did you? <laughs> I highly doubt that's what actually happened. Okay, but so they never had the live virus in their hands. All they had was genetic sequence from China, which they admitted at the time they hadn't isolated. Okay, so again, what's the PCR test testing for? If it's testing for that sequence, well, we need to question whether that's even what was there. What if China lied, right? Well, we also have to remember that in general, there's arguments that China thought this was a bioweapon, a DNA-directed type thing, or there's some arguments about that. And that's one of the reasons why they were shut down and didn't want to, I mean, you know, you could think of that would make sense. It's possible. And maybe that's why something was sent out that wasn't accurate. I mean, there's a lot of different anomalies here. Why anybody right now in this government or anybody in this, you know, trapped in the two-party paradigm who are all seemingly pointing at China as a bad guy makes why you think that makes sense that you're willing to trust what china sent well here's another really important one that kind of flushes us out even more moderna covid19 vaccine was designed in one hour and also there's a tsunami of mrna injections coming your way about 175 in 2022 yeah we've been telling you they didn't even slow down went on clinicaltrials.gov this morning uh, it turns out that there are uh, over 175 clinical trials now open using mRNA-based medicines. Now, one of the things to point out right there is just because they're in a trial, that doesn't mean they're not going to end up getting out or that there's not some long-term spread. Like, think about that, 175 trials. What if each one's got 40,000 people in it? That's a lot of people who are then getting mRNA in their body, who are then getting whatever else will go on there. I mean, because we're not even necessarily talking about the same shot. Maybe this is the fair nanoparticle universal flu shot, which is also being done, or the quadvalent RSV. I mean, there's so many random things being made right now based on some kind of Frankenstein next level experimental injection kind of stuff that's alarming. We've talked about all these things. Most of them have very concerning problems. Not even to get in to the main point, which we will in a second, that the platform itself, not the new variation of the sequence, not the new antigen, the platform is, in fact, the problem. So all of these things are based on the same platform because none of them are going through new safety testing, which we'll get into in a second. But think about that. A lot of this stuff is still going out there, even if we pretend no one's taking the ones that are being given by Walgreens, for example. That are recruiting patients. Another 54 clinical trials are waiting in the rings, ready to be opened. 54 clinical trials are waiting in the rings, ready to be opened. So there, this is, there is a coming uh, tsunami of mRNA medicines. Um, last year, Moderna and AstraZeneca reported positive results from a clinical trial where patients who, during open-heart surgery, were dosed with messenger RNA injected directly into their heart muscles that told their heart muscles to grow new blood vessels in order to get around clogged arteries. Cool. So we create something that literally destroys people's hearts, and then we benefit from the hearts being healed. That's fantastic. Well, I'll come back to this as well. You know, I, I still don't understand why this isn't a huge point that literally Ralph Barrick and, you know, and, and University of, of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, worked on coronavirus-induced myocarditis. Literally worked on taking coronavirus and making it induce more myocarditis in rabbits. 
I just, it's, it's, that is a smoking gun as far as I'm concerned. That's a weapon, first of all. You're not doing this to help anybody. You're trying to make things cause other illnesses. And look at what's happening today. It's just staggering. In other clinical trials, we are repeatedly dosing uh, patients with inborn metabolic errors to treat their metabolic disease. In fact, one of those clinical trials that's currently recruiting patients is for von Gerke's disease. And for cancer patients, we're creating personalized cancer vaccines. These vaccines are meant to train their bodies, their immune systems, to attack their cancers. These are truly personalized medicines. One- oh, and you know, that's, that's also another great point to include just in general, that's like, you know, I don't even, so some of these things I'm just like, I feel are so, we should be so aware of this stuff. But the idea that obviously none of these are mRNA. These are modified RNA. At least coming from the COVID perspective, they are N1-methyl-pseudouridine modified RNA. They're dangerous. In fact, they're done this way, so they last exponentially longer, which is why they're causing most of these problems and why many of the so-called experts who are told and are thinking mRNA would shout you down and say, no, mRNA doesn't last that long, like that weatherman, I was about to cuss, guy that we are you know, talking about that was telling us mRNA is mRNA. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. He's a weatherman, so it's not a big surprise. But the point is, that ultimately, they very clearly are screaming that it's mRNA, and none of these are mRNA. They are all modified. I mean, that's a lie. That is a wholesale lie. And that's kind of making its way into these bigger shows right now. And people are blown away by it. You know, we've been knocking that down for two years now. It's important to see. One vaccine for one person. Now, for personalized cancer vaccines to be the most effective, we need to get them made and back to the patient as quickly as possible. We aim for a turnaround time of 45 days. By January of 2020... We had already manufactured, quality controlled, and to de- delivered to several dozen patients personalized cancer vaccines. So we had the know-how um, and the capacity to manufacture vaccines quickly. Quick note from the chat, you know, the point that in regard to the myocarditis point of this, right? If you, if you, if you remember what I just said, I didn't even suggest that it was about a virus. But it's funny how that's what people hear or take from, you know, the point is that it could be the lipid nanoparticles, it could be the mRNA, it could be the spike protein, it could be bacteria, it could be whatever you guys want it to be. We get too hung up on the virus, no, but I'm telling you, it's important, but it, it stops people from seeing a bigger picture, right? The idea of whether these injections or rather the coronavirus, whatever that is, is being used to cause myocarditis, the point is that's what they're researching. And they're creating an injection, a bioweapon that can be used to cause myocarditis in somebody, right? The, the, the methods on how that, how that happens is important, but the point is they were trying to do that. That's the story, right? You, we, always, we, we far too often get lost in you know, the forest for the trees today. Thus, when the sequence of the SARS-CoV-2 virus was posted to a public web server on January 10th, 2020, we got immediately to work. Within two days, we had agreed with our collaborators at NIH on exactly which form of the spike protein to put in our vaccine. So right there, they were doing the same thing they're doing now, guessing. Based on a, based on a sequence that was given by China that nobody checked. They didn't have anything to isolate. They're taking a computer screen. 
two days, as you just saw, I'll show you again from their own map that they've now deleted from the internet, but we had it on the archive machine. Two days, then in one hour, they make it. So why do they ever need any kind of isolation? The point, and then again, what's the PCR test actually testing for? And then when they say a month later when something changed and variants, and the point is that these things are at best estimates. And then you overlap that with cycle thresholds and the fact that they can find what they're looking for. All of this is hype, guys. And I think that they all know that, like at, at the levels of decision makers. Because we had done so so many times before, it then took our mRNA design team just one hour to design the mRNA that we immediately... Yeah. That we immediately put onto our um, manufacturing equipment. Right. So it's, it's funny that even, you know, I just, you know, there's always people that want to say that something's wrong or fake, or, and who knows if that's even, a, you know, real or not. But I've shown this so many times. She literally just confirmed exactly what we've shown, even though there's been people that say that's not true. January 11th, they shared the sequence, or at least that's what Moderna posted. She says the 10th. But two days later, they had already had this. They, they said they finalized the sequence. By the next month, they were already injecting people. That's the reality, right? And as she just said, it took an hour. What's weird, this video, you want to try to watch it, YouTube censored it. It's about the way they made the vaccine. They're clearly covering this stuff up. I mean, this, this whole page is gone, showing you the, the, the date-by-date breakdown of how this all worked. You know why? Because there's stuff in here that reveals that they lied, just like that first part. Here's the, a post on the mRNA breakdown, mod RNA, which is what it really is. But here's the bigger point about all of this. So if we know that they guessed that they didn't have the sequence in their hands, that they got it from China, that they assumed, and within an hour already made an injection, and they never looked back. Because that's what we have to remember. This is MR, uh, mRNA1273. That's the same thing. All the variants and all the different things, all they're doing is alterating, altering this and experimenting in real time. Just like they pretend we're guessing for the flu variant. They're guessing. So Restef Levy pointed out recently an important study, which we already covered, in regard to the fact that the platform itself, implying that the platform is the problem. Excellent science study is very bad news to the mRNA nanolipids platform. It's an important study, guys. You can watch my show right here, that the platform itself is in fact driving myocarditis. So the bigger picture then becomes, it's if they're always trying to change up these variants and, and alter these things, ultimately it becomes clear that the platform or could be the real problem. Because it was designed that way, I would argue. But either way, it doesn't matter how much they change or what the new information they put into it. The way that this design is going to increase people's problems. And Fauci even wrote the article about why this is a failure, specifically from the mucosal immunity point, which Dr. Bakhti has been screaming about from 2020. If you take these shots, you're going to take them to your doom. Right? He said this in 2020. One of the few people I know for sure is honest in all this process because he has been putting himself in the line from day one telling you this. All gene-based vaccines, independent of manufacturers, produce the same result in the vaccinees. He has looked at 15. In the last four days, the number has been increased to 70 individuals who died after vaccination. These were people who died at home, at work, 
in the car, doing their sports, etc., etc., etc. There's no question now anymore about what is going on. And the answer is, in the organs of these people, in 90%, he found clear evidence for autoimmune self-attack by killer lymphocytes on the team. Just, it's just sad that people can't listen or don't care to. But this was January 11, 2023. I've shown this many times. Dr. Fauci wrote this himself and makes it very clear. And one of the things Dr. Bakhti has always been saying, it's not possible to take an injection in the shoulder muscle and create mucosal immunity. He's right. They've now acted like they discovered that, and they're now admitting that. Here's what this says. Even though he was right, they knew he was right. And literally every doctor everywhere knew he was right, but yet nobody had the courage to say he was right until now. As they attack him still. This is what Fauci said. Durably protective vaccines against non-systemic mucosal respiratory viruses with high mortality rates have thus far eluded vaccine development efforts. So in case you'll misunderstand the flowery writing, the vaccines we gave you failed, right? The the system we decided to, to use did not work in this case. Challenges to developing next generation respiratory vaccines like for COVID are many and complex. Past unsuccessful attempts to elicit saw protection against mucosal respiratory viruses like COVID-19, like the flu, and to control the deadly outbreaks and pandemics that they cause have been a scientific and public health failure that must be urgently addressed. But we're going to do it again, though. It's just, it's just, it's, I don't even know how to explain that. The guy, the guy who they've been pointing at steps up and goes, it didn't work. And now we just are standing on the ashes of that and building 47 more, 175 more. And this is one side point that gets really concerning for me before we get back into the variants again. This is ARPA-H, or HARPA, which is what it really originally was, but they didn't want to take Trump's daughter's name for it, so they pretended they made something new and just said ARPA-H, because we're original. <laughs> so it's like, that to me, that is just aggressively petty. They just, it just it really is just about the fact that they don't want to take Trump's daughter's name because that was where it first came from, Harpa. Anyway, which, by the way, is about like DARPA. It's the same. This is all military medical control, in my opinion. But it says, learn more about the Curate Project. USA Today talks about messenger RNA or mods. See, they're lying right there or don't even know that they're lying. Base technology would be used to turn off and on multiple genes within immune cells involved in cancer and chronic conditions like long COVID. Okay, I think they made a mistake here. First of all, long COVID's not even remotely what they say it is. It's vaccine side effects by and large, but also psychosomatic issues. But the point is, didn't they just admit right there this is gene therapy? If you're talking about dealing with long COVID, which their argument is that it's COVID, and that is multiple genes, mRNA-based technology, but we already know this. It's embarrassing that we ever had to pretend like this was not the most obvious example of gene therapy ever. They just were afraid you wouldn't take it because they're honest, right? <laughs> just unbelievable. But here's what it says, and this is terrifying to me. ARPA-H announces project to strengthen the immune system. Oh, the immune system that you just destroyed with all these shots? I wonder why you need to do that. I mean, let's not forget. That's quite literally what this is causing. I think this is the, let's see if I have that still. Yeah, this Swiss Policy Research had a post on this. 
main point being that it's been shown that up to 50%, and there's studies, all these are peer-reviewed studies, you can read it for yourself, up to 50% of vaccinees, people who take the vaccine, can induce temporary immune suppression or immune dysregulation that may last about a week or longer. And that's only because that's the study range. The point was you can show, that in some cases, this goes on indefinitely, and I'll show you in a minute. But that lymphocytopenia, that's your immune system collapsing. That's why we see almost, what was it, 80%, um, here, I have to look it up again. Hold on. This is Ezra Levant's tweet from the Rebel, from Rebel News. That's where I first saw this. Here's the actual breakdown from the Pfizer. This is the actual study, which is now peer-reviewed, I believe. And the point was they see 76% negative efficacy. That's Omicron, right? After 90 days. Three months later, you are 76 more likely to get sick in general. After one day, it's down to 55 one month, 16% efficacy. If that's, that, and that's, that's relative risk reduction. It's not even the same thing. That's meaningless. It's the truth. It's just unbelievable. So back to this. They're destroying your immune system, according to peer-reviewed science that they don't want to trust, announcing up to $24 million for curing the uncurable via RNA-encoded immunogene tuning. Oh, great. So we've had a thousand different natural ways to cure all sorts of things that they don't want you to ever understand or know about. Probably because they've been waiting to know they're going to roll out the red carpet and say, guess what? We can cure everything. But give us ability, give us the authority to edit your genes. That's what this is doing. A project that aims to train the immune system to better fight cancer and other diseases with the goal of developing generalizable mRNA platforms to treat diverse diseases and save lives. Curit will, lead, will be led by a team of Emory University at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. The Curit Project highlights the development of versatile toolkits that leverage recent advances, like those in gene modula- modulation and mRNA delivery. So gene therapy? No, no. Oh, yes, here, but not when we talk about the same thing for COVID land. Okay? Don't, don't get confused. It's so stupid how they pretend like these are different things. We're literally talking about the same exact thing, but it's gene therapy here for to save everybody's lives. But for COVID vaccines, it's totally not gene therapy to treat ailments that currently lack effective treatment options. The proposed curate toolkit toolbox of MRNA, a molecule that tells the body what proteins to make. That's what we've been talking about. And related technologies could be used to quote, turn on helpful immune responses. We've talked about this. We actually recently talked about this with George Webb. I see the title was, I think, AI created drugs as it loads and something. It was uh, AI created drugs, the fake China lab and being primed with a life switch or a kill switch. However you want to look at it. That's what this is. I mean, ultimately talking about something that could be turned on, which means it could be turned off. That's very real. Like promote, it says, and, uh, to helpful immune responses like promoting immune cells to target and attack tumors, you know, or things that your body need. Other applications could extend to autoimmune disorders, transplants. It's always like, we'll do it to save you. But of course, it's always dual purpose, guys. And this is why I played that clip to start today, because this was from the beginning. This is pre-COVID. I was showing you this. This has always been their plan. And this is what this is about, at least in one part. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. And that's what they're doing now. 
right? So all this was a big test. They were experimenting and seeing what worked. You know, that, that's what I really believe. So now we're at a point now where this is being implemented, right? So the, the gene therapy concept in regard to putting something like they, like it literally says, like it's, like it's it, you are putting a toolbox, an mRNA platform in your body, prompting immune cells to target and attack tumors or whatever else they turn on to focus. That's terrifying. So the point is, all this is going in the direction that we've been warning about, as you probably already know. And this, these, and, and then on top of all of that, which I'll briefly point out, I we should genuinely be questioning, and always should have, whether the things they are giving next are exactly this, and we don't, we're not told, or maybe the ones before it already were. They love to call it conspiracy theory. It's just an honest question, and that's why I always include the. Uh, the study, many of them, where they talk about if they're going to do something just like that, even if they want to argue it's like for saving the planet, for climate change, for saving the planet, for viruses, whatever it is, they simply argue that if they were going to have a, a bio enhancement, which is what that is, that is literally what this is. Well, they should make it compulsory and they should make it convert covert. That's real PubMed peer reviewed. They're literally saying that they should argue that moral bioenhancement, that's what they call it, ridiculously Orwellian, ought to be compulsory. He takes it one step further, saying that should this be, that it's morally preferable for compulsory moral bioenhancement to be administered without the recipients knowing they're receiving the enhancement. That's what they're arguing. There's more than one study making this argument today. That's why I talk about things like we talked about the the alpha gal issue and the, and the ticks, you know, whether or not there's actually something going on in regard to we're going to save the planet because they don't know any better. We'll stop them from eating meat. Like, I'm, I'm not saying I think that's what's happening. It's certainly possible. If you think that's outside the range of what they're capable of, you are not paying attention. So be on guard for where this goes, because right now they're already beginning to push these vaccines again. And as Dr. M- M- uh, Peter McCullough who, by the way, I just interviewed Dr. Mercola, Joseph Mercola. That'll be coming out tomorrow, as well as Destiny Resendez. I was going to put them out today, but too many things. I got busy and all, on and on, but those both will come out tomorrow. But Dr. Peter Mercola points out the same thing I've been saying. And again, whether or not you think these are even there, the point by, from their narrative, even the narrative exposes this won't work based on their previous narrative, even if none of these existed, that they already made it clear that based on a previous variant, so many times removed that the injections are not working probably because they're not working for anybody quite frankly but it's the narrative we're talking about right so he says xb15 xbb15 nearly gone in the united states booster too late again it's amazing how we can say this again just narrative and yet they just keep going with the same points here he says the same thing new booster for xbb15 which is what they all aimed at all of them has no hope of working against Aris EG5, which is very mild and brief, a brief head cold. It's less than the one before it. I am easily treating cases in my practice in vaccinated and unvaccinated. America should not line up for any more boosters. And this is uh, a, a uh, name and wolf clip where she's saying that they approved these back in June, which we've already talked about. Here's a clip from Fox News making some of these points as well. But I find this very interesting. Check out on here. The point in general is that in June, which I'll they already agreed to put it forward. They don't need new safety tests. They don't need, they used to take two, three years to do these trials, phase three trials. Remember all that? It doesn't exist anymore. 
Are we in a pandemic? Are we all in danger? No, no. That's what they claimed was the reason they skipped it last time. Now they just go, we're just going to keep doing that, though, because we want to, because it's faster. (laughs) Okay, was it safer? Well, yes. (laughs) Not really, though. It's not at all. And you can very clearly prove that if you're skipping safety testing. Just a thought. Go back to that point, though. This clip literally says FDA approves updated COVID boosters. This is from three weeks ago. My point in this is that people will look at that and not even watch the video. They'll, oh, they approved it. It's approved. Go out and get it. It's approved. Well, the video is quite literally saying they might do that later in August, but they just literally title it FDA approves the booster. Like just everything about everything they're doing is so on the surface dishonest. It makes me sick. Here's a clip. FDA could give the green light to Pfizer's updated COVID-19 booster shot by the end of August. The new vaccine targets a new Omicron subvariant and could be ready to be rolled out in September. Moderna made a similar request to the FDA for its vaccine in June. Joining us now to talk about that and a couple of other health topics is Dr. Bill Hartman, clinical trialist at UW Health. What are your feelings, Dr. Hartman, on these subvariant targeted vaccines? Do you think that we're going to be pretty well prepared for the upcoming cold flu and now COVID season? I do think so. The the, the new monovalent vaccines that were authorized uh, or voted on uh, last June uh, mm-hmm. for XBB.1.5 uh, should be still very effective against the... Should be. Oh, I feel better. Definitely should possibly work, maybe, if you take enough. Maybe. Like, look, the bottom line is, all jokes aside, that's not science. That's a guess. They are going, probably going to work. Well, that's exactly what happened last time. But see, the point is they're creating coercion again, shutting down schools, creating barriers. This is all the same thing based on a hypothetical. And even less testing, even less, can. it's worse than before. And we already have the examples, Delta Omicron, or even in between there, you have examples where these things were arguably about some variant, and then they made it too late, and then it didn't, in fact, it hurt everybody. Over and over and over. That's whether or not it's even aligned properly. But then you add in the concept of molecular mimicry, pathogen and priming, out of antibody-dependent enhancement. Your body's attacking itself, autoimmune issues, immune, uh, immune suppression, all these things. That's not even getting into myocarditis and Bell's palsy. And, and I, mean, I could go off for 45 minutes about the things that they claim are happening, but super rare, even though none of them appear to be rare at all. But, sh- but it should work, though. It should work. feel better about that. Five. Uh, should be still very effective against the, the subvariant that seems to be infecting more and more people right Well, what's funny is he says should still be very effective, but the last one's not effective. They're admitting that. <laughs> well, that one's not, but all they're doing is basing it on like the hypothetical of how effective it would be should it be focused on the one thing they originally made it for. But that's ridiculous. That's not even remotely what's actually happening if it's, any of it's even there. So this point is that it's still just as effective, like, as effective as what? The very first thing wasn't effective. This is just narrative. It's staggering. Now, in this mini uh, surge that we're seeing uh, at the end of the summer here, the XBB.1.16, this makes up about 15% of the cases, but it's very genetically similar to the COVID. So not the same. So you're taking an injection that's not for the same thing, but might work, should work. Booster that was approved. uh, So when these get... Uh, authorized by the FDA and then the CDC. So they've been approved, but they're not authorized. (laughs) Okay. We're just in clown world land now. Hopefully we'll have 
uh, a vaccine available for our most vulnerable people. Oh, right. The people that are most harmed by these things. The people that need them the least in the regard to the children. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about kids and elderly. The same thing is starting all over again. It's as if these people have no idea. Maybe they don't. Every single thing they're doing has already been proven to be dangerous. It didn't work. I mean, at the very least, the idea that children should even be on the table. Every single thing we went through shows that's ridiculous. Everything from the fact that they're not even at risk, even according to the very original thing they say was more dangerous, which it wasn't. But even then, these are less dangerous, according to whatever they're saying. So the point is, kids are less at risk ever than ever before, which was basically nothing. And you're going to make them take this? It wasn't tested on pregnant people, which they include in that group, but they're going to tell them to take it because they're most vulnerable because COVID's super dangerous, even though at the same time they're saying it's not that dangerous. But it could be. So when you say that about 15% of the cases are this specific subvariant they're now identifying, what about the other 85% of cases? Or do we not really know? There, there's kind of a mixture out there. Uh, still God. the XBB... 0.1.5 is making up about the same amount as the 0.1.0.1.16 uh, variants, and so these are pretty similar. I expect that this point or this uh, 0.1.0.16 subvariant is going to continue uh, to to make its way around the the United States, and we'll see this 15% grow expeditiously over the next couple of weeks. It just it doesn't make any sense. I'm also going to point out that probably why they're using, oops, a, uh, where was it? A clinical trialist, as opposed to a virologist, or I'm just going to go and throw it out there that it's because most of these people are not buying it anymore. Like, it's very interesting how they still push the narrative that all the scientists agree. Where are they? You don't seem to be floating any real strong candidates lately on any of these channels about what they're saying. But there's always going to be somebody who is in a field who wants to be the person on the news. 1.16 subvariant of weeks. It's interesting to kind of see how all of that just happens. And I know you've watched it time and time again. Talk to us more now about this new effort to try to find effective treatments for people suffering from long COVID. <laughs> right. So this is a part of the recover Program. You realize that they still have never proven that's actually what's happening. Like even the leading science is going, here's what we think these are from. But they're treating it, though, and they're diagnosing it, though, right next to SIDS and SADS. That's actually what's happening. It is another undefined. We don't know what's happening. Diagnosis. How I, I, at what point do we start? We're, we're going to look forward in 10 years and 90 percent of what we get diagnosed with is or, or another one of those. I don't know things. Right. You're in this category. It just it, This is not medicine. It's, I don't even know what you call it. They're just making up categories and catching things, even though we can prove that SIDS and SADS are directly tied to vaccines. Which is looking to identify symptoms of long COVID and then treatments for those symptoms. Uh, some of the, the common symptoms that, that occur are brain fog. Um, and right, so all we really said is we're going to identify symptoms, which those things they list off can be caused by literally everything, cold, flu, and on and on. And then we treat those symptoms. So all you're doing is treating symptoms. You could do that with common cold medicine. So all the point, they're, t they're calling everything long COVID based on a few symptoms that happen anywhere even within a year, in fact, of co what they claim is COVID, which is probably a false positive test. I'm not, this, that's quite literally what's happening. Anyway, I'm not wasting any more time on these ridiculous people. I'll include this so you can look at it yourself.
there's now two peer-reviewed studies that find that long COVID is largely psychosomatic, not real. And that's not me saying I think that. That's what the studies are finding. The newest study finds that long COVID is associated with factors other than SARS-CoV-2 infection, including psychological factors. The reason I said that is because I think it's predominantly vaccine side effects. The point is that these studies, even the science they're telling you to trust, is going, that's not what's happening. It's not from the COVID. It's because you're losing your mind or, you know, being kind of facetiously. But that's, that's what's happening. WebMD points out, updated Pfizer COVID booster may be approved by the end of August. It says August 2nd, this was written. So 20 days ago, Pfizer CEO said the FDA could approve the company's updated COVID booster by the end of the month. Albert Borla made the statement Tuesday during an investor call. So just know often the media is reporting as fact what the representative of the company profiting from the sale of the thing is saying. I mean, we just saw Steve Gottlieb on CNN brought on, or no, it was MSNBC, as, you know, let us know what's going on, Steve. What's, what's the current, da- what do we need to do? The guy's on the board of Pfizer. Like, these people are clowns. So you're telling us that they may do this because the guy who wants us to know that, who works for this company, it's, it's stupid. Pfizer and Moderna asked the FDA in June to approve a new version of their boosters aimed at the XBB1 subvariant. That's it. The subvariant makes up 12.3% of new cases. This is the point in June where it's simply saying in a unanimous vote, Recommended an update to this based only on XBB15 in June. So once these things come out, now, next month, whatever, realize all they've ever been doing is building and making. They have not safety tested these things, let alone at the level that we used to pretend was absolutely mandatory. How does anybody make sense of that? Why is anybody out there who has listened to anything we've ever said about medicine believing this makes sense? They're trying to abuse the new technology angle. So hoping that you just, you're too dumb to know. You're not a doctor. You're not a scientist. Shut up and trust what Tedros says. Oh, he's not a doctor or scientist either. Okay. Now the point is that clearly they're trying to scare you back, just like always. Here's CNN. Updated COVID vaccines are coming mid-September, officials say. It says they are also expected to retain potency against closely related strains. Expected means we don't know. But we'll go ahead and tell you we think that might happen because that's what we're supposed to say. All three vaccine manufacturers say testing shows their vaccines are effective against EG5. But wait a minute. Aren't we talking about BA262 or FLX947 or whatever the numbers are? Like, it just, it's, it's actually really ridiculous to pretend with five other variants they're telling you are on the rise that this thing somehow works for all of them. They're the ones who have already told us that's not how this works. They don't care. This is desperation. I see it across the board. The CDC says, well, the new COVID lineage, didn't you just tell us this is another subvariant of Omicron? How is that a new COVID lineage? Could cause infections in vaccinated individuals. Aha. Well, they need, they need to explain this. Because here's what's really happening, guys. People that have been sick or just have healthy immune systems are not struggling with this. Same thing throughout the whole process, in fact. Right now, what they're seeing is an explosion in the same problem that's always been there, the pandemic of the vaccinated. And now they need to justify that. Now, look, I'm I'm not going to, I mean, I can theorize about what my concerns about why, you know, what might be done with future vaccinations and maybe with surreptitious angles to it. I'm just going to go and tell you in general from a position of somebody who's never taken those things. I would, I'm, there's nothing that's going to make me go near this. Not just because these things are dangerous, but because of what else might be going on. And I'm terrified of that. Not just trying to scare anybody, but I've seen some pretty evil things in this process. And I'm not, I am convinced that there are actions that would be taken, maybe by individuals, maybe by the entire process, that are evil, terrible. 
So my point is that now they're going, the new thing is causing them. No, that's been the case from the very beginning. We showed you this in the UK's original data. We showed you in New South Wales, in, in Ontario, and everywhere around the world. The people that were vaccinated suffered more. The areas that had higher vaccinations had higher ba- excess death. The places that had higher vaccinations had higher incidence of everything we're talking about compared to the ones that didn't. I mean, I was actually just talking about this with um, Jeremiah. I was on his, on his uh, uh, radio show this morning. And he was the one that made the great ar- the argument that this it's I mean, it's, it's just the overlap of it all is so very clear. The people that got vaccinated are continuing to get sick. The people that got the injections are the ones continuing to spread it. And the information has showed you that from day one. It's, it's, it's just transparent. And now what they're trying to do is kind of cover this all up by blaming it on you the same way they did out from the very beginning. Now, it says the U.S. CDC said on Wednesday the new BA286 lineage. See, everyone I'm pointing at some, the, one of the different ones may be more capable than older variants in causing infection. Except why, why they wouldn't put this right after that. I think you know why. But it said the current increase in hospitalizations is not likely driven by this, by this lineage. Okay. The virus samples are not broadly available for more re- reliable laboratory testing of antibodies. They're keeping an eye on BA26 lineage because it has 36 mutations. You're telling me with 36 mutations that you're that we're pretending it's going to be effective that's really stupid but they don't have enough samples to test that's exactly what we keep telling you so how exactly are you testing it with PCR test if you don't even have the ability I mean it, we're being lied to wholesale and it's not more dangerous and by the way if you have ever been sick by whatever you call this based on all the, and actually I will bring this up since I mentioned it which one was this? Uh, oh, perfect. Both of them. Both of these studies show you peer-reviewed science. This is July 2020 that showed you that people in their control ended up having antibodies. So the test was about people that had T-cell immunity for COVID-19 and people that had SARS. Trying to see if there's an overlap. But it turned out that people that were in their controls, who were supposed to be the control to the people at SARS, also had antibodies. And it was kind of, oh, look at that. That's an important study. They had antibodies before COVID began. How do you explain that? Well, they could be the cold and the flu, because those are coronaviruses. The cold, anyway. So we're told. But then you got this one, too. 2021. It's amazing how they trust the science crowd didn't ever talk about any of this. A majority of uninfected adults had pre-existing antibodies. Same kind of thing. A majority of adults, why did we ever give injections then? Because obviously something else was going on. But this was the one I always like to show. This is also 2021. Ultra-potent antibodies against diverse and highly transmissible variants. This is science.org. And the important point, as always, is they identified, or the main part was, um, oh, yeah, the conclusion I think is better. Or was it? Right here. The bottom one's even better, but just to make it quick. It says the, our, they demonstrated that people that got convalescent subjects, people that got sick from the beginning, before all this madness, you know, from COVID, they argue, previously infected with the ancestral strain, the original strain, produce antibodies that cross-neutralize emerging variants of concern with high potency. That, that leads into the Omicron discussion. None of this gets discussed because they're lying to you. So when they try to tell you it's not just vaccinated, it's everybody who's ever sick, they're lying. People that are vaccinated are the ones that have immune systems that have been destroyed, and it's even getting worse for them, and the injections don't really seem to make a difference. Here's NIH as well. From 2021, the very group telling you that they don't know had a post in 2021, lasting immunity found after recovery from COVID-19. 
Did they just forget about that? I guess so. And then, of course, you had these ridiculous Reuter fact checks. Oh, I think I actually looked it up. That's right. Oh, no, that was wrong. I thought I looked it up to down. Anyway, I, they usually, I, I think I did and then actually accidentally closed it. But this, I usually look these up so you can read them for yourselves. But you saw this as well. This was actually a fact check by Reuters in December 2022. Fact check, finding that most people dying from COVID-19 are vaccinated does not mean vaccines don't work. <laughs> and this guy goes, yes, it does. <laughs> My God. Well, you could make an argument that there's a, a a circumstance where that wouldn't necessarily mean that, but it does mean that because we showed that, but also because the data at the time showed you that it was also the risk per 100,000. They just lied. The UK data was exploding. They had three to four times more likely to get sick from COVID if they had two or more injections in their body. And that's when they cut, they just stopped showing the data. They said, you're lying. Then we can't just show you. They got caught. Ontario, New South Wales, they all did the same thing. They got shown and they just stopped showing you. The point was very clearly, yes, it does. The reality was obviously that this thing was hurting people and they're just trying to cover that up. Well, there's many other examples for that. Jickey Leaks points out one, even on top of what we've been showing you, which is that they never studied this in pregnant people. The data from right now still shows you that. And I can click on any one of these. I haven't looked at them in a minute, but I can tell you right now that it says the same thing. I forget what page this is on. This is from June 2023. Uh, Let's see. Should have had it pulled up. (laughs) Here is the, this is about the, you know, missing information pages where it gets into the different things that they didn't study, one of them being pregnancy. Here it is. And as well as the rest of them, they're all important, right? So right. Okay, so, so the very first thing, use in pregnancy. The safety profile of the vaccine is not fully known in pregnant and breastfeeding women due to their initial exclusion from the trial. But they talk about, but, but, real-world evidence, but that's you guys lying about what you tell us is happening. The real-world evidence, if you look at the VAERS data and all the rest of them, are showing an explosion. Just ask Scotland as they ignore all the prenatal deaths they pretend aren't happening. It's disgusting. The point is, still to this day, as of June 2023, they don't know if it's safe for pregnant people. I posted this on October 2022, and I well before that, I've been talking about it. But the point is the Jiki leaks on top of all that points out that the new freedom of information request from this week, and this was August 20th, confirms that NHS in particular, the Manchester University NHS Foundation Trust, did not perform any safety monitoring of pregnant women who were given investigational mRNA products within an undeclared and unapproved clinical trial for which the hospital received $250,000 grant and then suppressed the release of it. I mean, even in their individual things, these people are criminals, man. And then they push it on pregnant women, which is what's happening, because they call them the most vulnerable. But it's not just the pregnant women. Right now, what they're saying, most vulnerable, that includes immunocompromised. They're out there going, get that immunocompromised, get it first. Historically, that's been the opposite. They're the last of the people that don't get it because their bodies can't deal with it. But same thing. It's not known because they didn't test them. But then why are you telling them they need it first? It's, It's horrifying. We could point out the idea of frail patients, which means elderly people, frail comorbidities. There's limited information. They don't know. But they're telling old people, get it first. Autoimmune disorders, same thing. Interaction with other vaccines. So as Jaw tells you, get, get a flu shot. Get them together because they're safe. They're lying to you. 
COVID-19 vaccines will be issued, will used in individuals who also may receive other vaccines. Studies to determine if the co-administration of COVID-19 vaccines with other vaccines may affect the efficacy or the safety of either have not been performed. Again, get this in front of somebody. I guarantee there is somebody out there who is huge that would scream about this and it would go viral around the world. We've been talking about this from the beginning. From, I think 2020 or 2021, when, these, when this document first came out, I was blown, it blew me away. Or how about the fact that it still says long-term safety data, that long-term safety data is unknown. How in the world is that possible? This is June 2023. We don't know what will happen in a year from now, but take it, you have to. It's just mind-blowing to me. But that's why you guys are here, because we've been knocking this down together from the beginning. That's why I genuinely think that we have a gigantic, an audience that's far bigger than we're allowed to see. But another point, growing concern, vaccine heart damage in adolescence may be permanent. Dr. Peter McCullough, John Leake, who we interviewed with both of them, by the way. That's actually a really great interview. Let's see if I get that to come up. Pops up. There it is. Bingo. A good interview. Beginning. So, oh, look at that. I even used the same image. I've used this a few times, actually. I made this a while ago, and I, I like it. It just it really gives a very particular feel, you know, the, the puppeteering of the whole thing. But this was Dr. Peter McCullough, John Leake interview, The Courage to Face the Truth About COVID-19 and Those Behind It. It's a really good interview. But the point, they're finding, this Hong Kong study finds that 58%, almost 60% of COVID-19 vaccine myocarditis confirmed by MRI, MRI has not resolved a year later. What happened to all those screams about it goes right away? Well, I've been the one shouting, even though I'm seeing this pop up again, which is good. But I've been showing you that study from, I think it was actually 2021 when I talked about it, but it goes way before that, that non-fulament, non-serious myocarditis, according to the NIH, with it, I think it was 26, 25 to 56% increase of mortality within the next 10 years, even non-serious versions. That's why they're acting like it goes right away. Well, what happens in a year or five years or 10 years? Well, 56% of them die. That's what they, it's just amazing what they're, they know it. They have their own study. They just hide it. But it's a good interview or good article. You should read this. It's important. The point is the myocarditis, the heart damage in children and everybody else is not going away. And here's a clip from Dr. Uh, uh, um, Stephen Kirch and Dr. Peter McCullough speaking about this exact point. Blood clots, sudden death. It's terrible, man. Asks, how might you establish that a cause, I'm sorry, that a death was caused by the mRNA shot when the death occurs four months or longer after vaccination? Well, remember, temporal association is just one of the criteria. So, you know, the farther it gets out, we, we have to consider other intervening factors. Uh, but there are now circumstances. For, for instance, blood clots. We know the risk of blood clotting is elevated at least two years later. And we know the risk of myocarditis sudden death can happen two years later. So right now, I'd put it at about two years. And if there's more data, uh, I showed you the Fisher paper showing myocarditis before COVID. It was a five-year risk. 15-year uh, risk horizon. We, we could have an indefinite risk horizon here. It's very possible, certainly for the cardiovascular. Hmm. Oh, I just realized something, by the way. 
I, I, I do this far too often, and I know you guys know it. <laughs> you probably you love me for it. But I, I, you know, I, I, tra- I have so many thoughts flying around that I'll kind of jump to, I won't finish my sentence. But uh, what I was saying about Jeremiah, by the way, who, who had a great interview with him today, is that the argument being that we can see the correlation of the excess death and all these problems. His point was, and I agree with this, that it's, and Dr. Peter McCullough is something very similar, that it's causal now. We are long past the idea of, of correlation. The times align, the continued increase and decrease, depending on vaccinations or not in certain countries. I mean, it's almost airtight at this point. At the very least, the idea is that it can't, as Dr. Peter McColl has been saying, that we, at this point, we need to engage with this as it's the vaccine until proven otherwise. And it's not because that's what he thinks. He's basing this on the scientific research and the body of work, the evidence. It's very, very clear that most of these are, and that's why ultimately that's how we should engage with it. Not that we assume it is, but that we... I guess I kind of said it that way, but that we not that we uh, conclude that it is before we prove it, but that we is going forward on the assumption that this is likely the case and we research in that direction. The point, though, is that the bath, the excess death around the world is unbelievable. Every country that has high vaccination rates is dealing with confusing, baffling excess death. All the ones like Sweden are it's it's obvious. It's very, very obvious. And then again, this point, you guys should watch the show. It's it's crazy. U.S. government-funded research on coronavirus-induced myocarditis. And here we are. Oh, and then Florida, by the way, is moving to try to ban the COVID-19 vaccine, calling it a biological weapon. It's kind of hard not to see that right now. I'm sh- we'll see what happens, but I find that pretty interesting because we are in the, le- in the, the time here about, like, it's interesting. I'll play this clip again. We just talked about this. At a time after the RFK point about the ethnic weapons and how weird it got handled, even though it's very provable. Same thing with like Maui and direct energy weapons. Like these things are public knowledge, but yet they get shouted down as entirely fake stories because I don't know, narrative control. I'm not even suggesting that I think that was involved in Maui. I just think that there is a possibility that could have been used. We should entertain that, especially since they have a directed energy directorate right there on the mountain range. But my point in this is that he makes this point, RFK, and it gets shouted down. Even though, and I think that's why, even though we're literally in the time of exactly this. And this is at the Aspen, this Aspen Security Forum. This guy's a member of, 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 of a government entity. And he is literally telling you that they know they can make weapons die focused on one person alone. So I just think it's really concerning that as we go into this, like you, you could look at it more than one way. A wholesale kind of government-wide experiment. That's always certainly possible. Or... Is it not possible that maybe somebody, one person or one group could decide maybe for the betterment of all of society or maybe because they're just petty and want to hurt somebody that they don't like, that they could design something that would hurt one person or one group? You know that exists. We know that Israel's government has worked on these exact kind of ethnic weapons. They worked with South Africa during apartheid to make these things directly. I mean, they, it's all on the record. We know that Israel's currently doing that now. We know the U.S. government's doing that now. We know that China's doing that right now. It's, you could, it's easy to look up. Whether you think they've done it or not, that's for you to decide. But this is all real stuff. So you could take that in a larger scale. But again, you could ask whether or not one of these injections might be used to take out one individual. Whether that could even be found out. I think this stuff is terrifying. And here's what he had to say so we can understand the, the, the reality of this. Clear, I think one of the things we're talking about here is that there are now weapons under development and developed that are designed to target specific people. Right, that, that's what this is, uh, where you, you can actually take someone's DNA, take you know, their, their medical profile, and you can target a biological weapon that will, that will 
kill that person or take them off the battlefield or make them inoperable. So you can't have a discussion about this without talking about privacy uh, and, and commercial data and the protection of commercial data because expectations of privacy have degraded over the last 20 years. Uh, you know, young folks actually have very little expectation of privacy. That's what the polling and the, the data show. I don't know if that's accurate. I hear that a lot. And I, it does make sense, you know, to a degree. Because they've been engineered that way and they're just a different mindset. They're more technologically minded. But I just don't know if that's true. That's what they want us to think for sure. So I just question everything. Uh, and, and people will very rapidly spit into a cup and send it into 23andMe and get really interesting data about their background. And guess what? Their DNA is now owned by a private company and can be sold off without very, mm -hmm. with very little uh, intellectual property protection or, or privacy protection. And we don't have legal and regulatory regimes to deal with that. So uh, we have to have a, an open and public discussion, and this is going to have to be a political discussion, about what does... The protection of healthcare information, DNA information, and, and your data look like, because that uh, data is actually going to be procured and collected by our adversaries for the development of these systems. Yeah, it's incredible. And as uh, as our buddy Pasta shouted out, as he he's hosting the the Jimmy Dore show, he gives a shout out and was pointing out this very clip. You know that this is, it's it's. The idea that this is something that is being discussed is always a joke. And we always make this point in the show. You know, they give the lip service. Like, we have to discuss how this is going to affect privacy. It's like, well, did you do that before it came? I mean, it's already literally being developed. So pretty sure you don't really care about that. You know, it's, it's just always like a, lip, a, a, a nod to make us think they care. You know, the fact that this is even being discussed is, in my, in my opinion, because it's time for us to be aware of this stuff. And, of course, because bad guys, adversaries. Even though we literally just said we're doing this, we know how to do it, but we, they're going to do it. As always, you know, it's like cluster bombs in Ukraine, which I made the point, same point last time. Well, they're making it, they're using bad things, so we have to, no, you don't. So you're going to be the bad guy because they did it first, or you got to be the bad guy first. Like, it just doesn't even make sense. They're just making up justifications to do what they want to do, whether or not the so-called so bad guy has done it first. It's just, these, these, are, these are bad people. They're gaming people to get what they want. And here is a study. From 2006, one of the great challenges for the 21st century medicine is to deliver effective therapies that are tailored to the exact biology or biological state of an individual to enable so-called personalized healthcare solutions. So you see how that sounds very different? Because they, I mean, they, they, you could even say they are different, even though they're talking about the same thing. That's what I want people to understand. They're talking about the same thing. Here you're talking about tailoring a weapon to someone's DNA, right? Well, you, you need to realize that's that. All the difference is they're making it a weapon versus making it a helpful tool. It's dual use. All of this is. And really, quite frankly, so is vaccine technology. If you really understand that it could be used to kill somebody too. The bottom line, though, is this is more specifically about creating something that could be tailored towards very specific ethnicities and save others, right? It's like we talked about the insect allies. When they came out with this big program and scientists around the world were like, you're lying. That's a bioweapon. That's designed to destroy crops of your adversaries. And all you're doing is inverting it to be helpful when you want it to be. That's what all of this is. And that's why most of this stuff comes from the military, which, again, something we talked about today. We talked about that in general, that this is all a military discussion, all of it. That's where it all stems from. Possibly that's what everything stems from. Our amazing Polly points out something really important about this exact study, which, by the way, is where I saw it first. So thank you for that, Polly. Th think eugenics. 
and applied biology. Oh, she, well, she, she's saying it there. You, did you think eugenics and applied biology died with the Nazi party or the Soviets? Sorry, no. It's big business now. Now, as she frames it, rich people will get tailored medicine off the backs of the general population who really haven't earned the right to live very long. And I do agree with that. But at the same time, we're going to see the other way around, right? Where they use this to affect the people, the peons, in a way that they want, in, in a negative way, I would argue, or, or eugenics in the way of getting rid of the people they don't think are useful, or, and so on. But that way is right, too. The idea that you, we are going to see this kind of division of species where people who are rich have genetic engineering and genetic manipulation that make them faster, stronger, everything. It's not even, it's literally working right now. It's already happening. There are people that are already deciding to take certain, you know, I mean, I mean, you could go off on this forever. The truth is that this is what's already being developed. They're already talking about this. They're finding ways to try to extend life or make you, you know, stronger, have a certain eye color. All these things are already being discussed in some cases already being used to make sure your child is a certain eye color. For example, it's, it's going to get intense. Now I wanted to play this video, not just before we even ended, because I think this is so important. We need to remember about the risk of all this, where this actually started. This is a great clip from Matt Orfala showing you the lie, the, like the lie that started all of it. Even and, that, and literally, the only reason this is even still going is because of the original sca scaremongering tactic that this was super dangerous. It turned out it wasn't at all. And those of us in the beginning who were saying that were right. But so then why now is it still going? Well, because it could be more dangerous. Well, okay, if it was never to begin with, why don't you do the same thing for the flu? You see, it, it, it's, it's a game, and it's very easy to see that. Now, I'm not saying that I know all the people involved in that game are aware they're being lied to or aware that they're not accurate. Plenty of them are just too stupid to see it or don't care. But at some level, some of these people know this. I genuinely believe that. And they know this lie about it being extra dangerous is keeping this going, and so they have to recreate that danger. I think that's what's happening now. But here's what he said. Don't forget the lie. Neil Ferguson, Imperial College of London. The, what we've now proven that the entire formulation of this number was based on an assumption. And yet it's still being used. From the World Health Organization, the death rate from the coronavirus is rising. 3.4% is higher. Twice as deadly as previous estimates. 3.4% state of emergency. emergency. Well, I think the 3.4% is really a false number. Based on a lot of conversations with a lot of people that do this, I think the number is way under 1%. So to fact check, the World Health Organization says the coronavirus death rate is 3.4%. President Trump lies that the World Health Organization is wrong. The number is 3.4%. 3.4% is what it's being reported around the world. Making it deadlier. So much death. The death rate. The percentage is 3.4%. And no hunch from the president can change that. Trump lied about the most recent World Health Organization estimate that the global death rate of coronavirus is 3.4%. Just all these cackling talking heads, just yucking it up. Oh, they're so stupid. And all the night show hosts that are just wildly ignorant. And it's just, it, they don't even care. They're still doing it today, even though they're not, they can look back and see that they, or maybe they don't know. Maybe they just don't care. Not smart enough to see that they were wrong. But the point is they didn't do research. They just repeated what they were told by people that they decided to trust. That's the definition of ignorance, blind following without any due diligence. They were all wrong. The 3.4% death rate was wrong. And WHO data later updated it to a fraction of 1%. Let's go back into history. 
Trump has a hunch that the death rate is lower than 1%. Way under 1%. Way under 1%. Will someone put a mozzarella stick in this stupid old Trump line? And this is how they use people like this, whether, whether Trump is aware of that or not. And I considered possibly that he was. But it's, it's like I talk about the Alex Jones effect, the Joe Rogan effect. It doesn't mean that they're dishonest. It simply means that they get used this way. If he said it, therefore, we dismiss it. And in, in many cases, they allow it to come out that way because they know that people who believe Trump will trust what he says, even if it's false. And people that don't trust Trump will dismiss it, even if it's true. It's, it gets used against us every single day. To viewers about the mortality rate way under one percent false information She's spreading disinformation misinformation and dangerous disinformation if you're president of the united states you have the world's greatest scientists at your disposal you listen to them leading scientists including dr fauci wrote in the new england journal of medicine that the death rate could be considerably less than one percent way under one percent why are you going on national television and contradicting experts based on a hunch his fake hunch with some fake math the president somehow thinks it could be lower than one percent based on nothing based on a lot of conversations with a lot of people that do this outright lies contradicting health officials on fatality rates it's not a time for donald trump to be calling into cable shows it's a time for the cdc what is cdc's best estimate of the fatality rate somewhere between half a percent and one percent That's all wrong, too, by the way. I'll show you when we're done. These are all just petty, petty, petty children. And and frankly, I see Trump in the same way. But in this case, he was right. A fraction of 1%. The president is spreading false information. Information, discarding what the health professionals are saying. Outright bogus information. Science is not based on hunches. A hunch about what he thinks is going on. In fact, science of today is literally based on hunches. We're being shown right now. We think it'll work. It'll probably work. Trusting information from doctors and scientists. He has a hunch. Hunch, hunch. hunch. It's not a time for Donald Trump's hunches. It's a time for science. It's a time for doctors. Welcome, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Uh, my hypothesis, my hunch, was it was likely to be less deadly than the World Health Organization was saying. 3.4%. There's no way that was true. Really a false number. This is why I ran the study in April of 2020. And what did you discover? The infection fatality rate was point. Way under 1%. Trump continues to contradict and downplay all things coronavirus. The president appearing to contradict medical experts on the mortality rate of the virus. Personally, I would say the number is way under 1%. Later on CNN. Our estimates are probably pretty inflated. Very high because the easy cases, they don't report to doctors or the hospital in many cases. So initially WHO released uh, estimates of 3.4%. Really a false number. The true infection fatality rate is likely to be far, far less. Way under 1%. It could be in the range of a seasonal influenza. To a fraction of 1%. This is just my hunch. He is spreading misinformation and disinformation. You can even call it information. An outbreak of sketchy information coming from the president. He's using a hunch instead of listening to the global authority on public health. A hunch. There's a lot to be concerned about. His hunch. A hunch. Hunches. Just my hunch. His hunch. His hunch. My hunch. Based on a lot of conversations with a lot of people, that's not what you want for the American people. A hunch. Hmm. Uh, I think, uh, in retrospect, those quotes are going to look even more damning. Sometimes you have to laugh. It's a good video. I mean, it, it, of course, a lot of people will take it as, you know, Trump was right. And that's kind of how they want it. To be, you know, but that's not really what it's about for me. Right. Obviously, in my opinion, this is about where were we again about the fact that the, the, the media will dismiss whatever they're told to dismiss. And, you know, I think Trump is play, plays a part of that. Unless, or he's I mean, look, you can't pretend that it makes sense that he still promotes the vaccine. 
I don't care what kind of mental gymnastics you're doing to pretend that makes sense. You do not allow children to continue to die for politics. Whatever you make sense. uh, Well, he just wants to get elected. Okay, so children die so he can get elected? That's okay with you? No, man, that's not okay. If, if he knows what his followers are saying, so he either sees it and doesn't care or dismisses or doesn't agree with them and thinks it's, it's his legacy. Either way, you shouldn't be supporting these people. But bottom line, it was less, dramatically less. Jo- January 2023 from the Ionetis Group, peer-reviewed, not retracted, age-stratified, infection, fatality rate of COVID-19 in non-elderly populations. At a global level, before vaccination, the infection fatality rate may have been as low as 0.03% under 59 and 0.07 under 69 that's 0.07 not 0.5 not less than not half a percent 0.03 or 0.07 and the main point is that 94 percent of the entire population falls within that category younger than 70 94 percent of the population dramatically less than the flu dramatically the flu being 0.1 maybe 0.2 0.03 it's just unbelievable. This didn't even exist. Of course, then we also have the 2022 peer-reviewed, least severe science direct document that makes it very clear that it was also far, far more dangerous to take the vaccine. Is that funny how it works out? So side by side, you got the peer-reviewed study that's still there, leading study on the point that it's less than the flu from the very beginning. Then you got another peer-reviewed study right now, not retracted, still from 2022 at the end of the year, saying that the Pfizer trial showed 36% more serious adverse events than not taking it. So you have a less than the flu issue and a vaccine that causes 36% increase in death, hospitalization, and serious disability. Gee, I wonder what happened. That's all you need to see right there. So we have people taking the vaccine injection, getting all sorts of problems that get called COVID-19 and all their types of baffling illnesses we need to make more vaccines for, even though it's all being created by the very thing they're giving them to treat something that is dramatically less than the flu. It's as simple as that, but it gets a lot more complicated when you look at everything else. Here's another thing I think is very simple, by the way. Pierre Corey points out the safe and effective is the lie that justified mandating the vax and gaslighting everybody whose life was ruined by it. The world needs to know what occurred in the fraudulent trials and just how badly the permanently injured participants were treated. This is crazy. You know most of this from the show. Read this. The point is that people who were ill, who were injured got cast aside. We've talked about Matt of the Gary, one of those people who still gets listed as a, as a stomach ache. She's still in a wheelchair to this day eating through a tube because of that injection. They still have it written down as a stomach ache. But they, but they kicked her out of the trial, though, because stomach aches are, are worthy of not participation. I mean, everywhere you look, there's dishonesty. Everywhere you look, there is undeniable lies. Just look at the Pfizer trials in Australia. It's mind-blowing. But here's what I wanted to show you on this. Oh, first of all, here's another corporate news outlet right now telling you right now in 2023 that vaccines are safe and effective. This, you mean the one that hasn't come out yet? This is real, guys. These are local plat- local channels that are telling people in New York, go get your children vaccinated with the new vaccine for COVID because they're safe and effective. The ones that are about to come out, right? Or the ones that are not out or that are out that we know aren't safe and effective, that we know are hurting people. Which ones do you mean? It doesn't matter. It's just narrative. They're safe and effective because they're safe and effective and safe and effective, right? Well, here's something we need to understand. Have you ever looked at the definition of the word safe? We should. For the podcast, 
The definition of the word safe means free from harm or risk. Not just harm, but or risk. Okay, so taking something that could hurt you is not safe. So by definition, this is not safe. But then just free from harm. They're the ones telling you it's causing myocarditis. I don't even care if it's one in a billion. By definition, that means not safe. That means, I I mean, whatever you want to call it. It's not the word safe. Okay, what's the other word? Effective. What does that mean? Having an intended or expected effect. Well, what was the intended effect? Stopping transmission? That didn't work. Stopping him from getting sick? No, that didn't happen either. Reducing symptoms? No, people are dying. Well, how about the fact that it's, I mean, everything, having an intended effect does not mean 20% effective. That's partially effective. But the bottom line is if you say safe and effective, that's not what this is. It causes harm, as we can all prove. And it's definitely not working the way they said it was. Even they admit that. So let's stand back and realize that as they keep yelling safe and effective, it has literally never been either of those things. Based on the definition of the words. I'm, I'm actually willing to bet you there's probably some contorted medical version of these definitions that are on some CDC book that we don't see. That's how this tends to work. But either way, when people say safe and effective on a local platform, the people hearing it think safe and effective. They think it's safe, meaning it's not causing harm, free from harm, and it's effective, meaning it's going to work the way they say it's going to work, which is 100% of the time. None of that actually happened. And here's why this is happening. Jeffrey Tucker points out, well, they're going to remove the vSafe database. Well, they don't even care about Bayer's because they just pretend it doesn't work, even though it works exactly the way it was designed to, and they just don't like what it shows. It just It's a safety signal system. It was never meant to be proven. The whole point was we don't, we don't prove these things. We just use the high enough signal. And now they just go, oh, we don't like the signal, so we're going to pretend it's not real. Well, there was also vSafe. But now, no more vSafe. <laughs> They literally are telling you, if you read the article, it says that we're, I'll just show you real quick. The title doesn't really show. It's saying the CDC closed enrollment in the V-safe vaccine. So it's going to stop. We're done. And he says, no more V-safe, but rest assured, the COVID vaccines are truly safe. (laughs) How much, that much we know. True. We've taken the reporting system offline, but we'll develop another one that is better at reaching the conclusions we know to be true. (laughs) Right. So we're going to make a system that better aligns with what we want you to see. The point is the systems have shown you that they're dangerous. That's why they're stopping. In real time, it's very clear what's going on. Here's just one more side example of one of the endless things we can get into about what these things are doing, aside from the very, very seriously, immediately dangerous problems that they're causing, let alone not helping you with any kind of illness. The fact that the IgG4 antibody issue is very important, and we've talked about this a lot. We did an entire show on this. Here is uh, Igor's uh, Igor Trudov's article, which is where we first saw this, booster-caused IgG4 immune tolerance explains the excess mortality and the chronic COVID, the endless issues. Now, you could call that long COVID if you want, and maybe that is part of it. But I ultimately think that the science has shown that it's, by and large, vaccine side effects. Well, actually, let's put it this way. That's what he's saying. He's saying that the vaccine is leading to the chronic, what appears to be COVID, but it's really just vaccine side effects. So it's kind of the same thing. The bottom line is IgG4 is what's created when you take a allergy shot. So it creates something that allows that thing to be present, but lessens the immediate problem. But the point is, if you have something in your body like a spike protein or the continual production of spike proteins, and your body's allowing that to freely continue to be made, well, you're eventually going to have a problem. And that's the point. Kind of this chronic ongoing illness that kind of culminates in a massive heart attack or things like that. Read it for yourself. It's horrifying. And it's easily provable. 
This is a refuge of sinners pointing out a dramatic increase in IgG4 antibodies is seen after three mRNA injections, which we've already proven. They don't care about that. This class switch to IgG4 antibody has consequences. That's not how it was designed, by the way. So one more example of it not being effective. That's not what they're telling you is happening, but science is proving it. It says, number one, one of the things that are happening, tolerance towards the spike protein, like we just said, means such individuals are more likely to be reinfected. Well, look at that. Isn't that what we're already seeing? Oh, look at that. More vaccine individuals. It's not the new lineage. It's just these people's bodies have been destroyed. He also points out it could lead to development of chronic infection. Isn't that what we're also seeing? Constantly sick, over and over, more infections. Yep, i.e. virus might persist for longer time once the person is infected. Repeated mRNA injections might suppress proper interferon functioning. We already talked about that resulting in reduced immune response to SARS-CoV-2 and other viruses as well. Here, I'll just include this one since this is an important one. Highlight all of these things. There it is. Study showing you, this is also 2022, that the mRNA vaccines promote sustained creation of the spike protein. That it's, the spike protein is neurotoxic and does impair DNA mechanisms. The mRNA vaccine potentially, is to co- potentially causes increased risk to infectious diseases and cancer. Right? All these things, peer-reviewed, it's not pulled down. Trust the science. Number four, development of autoimmune diseases, including autoimmune myocarditis. All of this is happening. And you can prove the IgG4 issue. It's, it's in, he's got the studies right here in this article. You can read them for yourselves. I mean, it's really crazy that this is so, oops, I don't want to sign in. So I just want to show you this study right here. Class switch toward a non-inflammatory spike-specific IgG4 antibodies after repeated SARS-CoV-2 vaccination. Peer-reviewed. Amazing. They don't care about that, though, right? Well, in the interest of time, I was going to take a lot. I'm probably going to do, you know, to be quite frank, <laughs> I'm just so over, I, I, I'm so tired of having to continue to prove this mask discussion. You guys know, you remember how much I was on this story. Like, I, I've included this link. To, I'm not, this isn't even going to be that extensive on mass, to be quite honest, because I think this is overwhelmingly obvious. All of the peer-reviewed science is very clear. The only things they point at are weird meta-analysis of observational studies and things that happened during COVID. The reality was always there. People lost their minds during COVID, as I played that from Fauci in the beginning, and now they're going back to it. It's amazing to me. I honestly, the only people that are going for this are people that are mindless followers or people that are somehow pushing this for other reasons because we've already proven to you, actually, I'll go over it in the study, that these things actually create illness. They create bacterial pneumonia. They create systemic inflammation. They create all sorts of things like oral thrush that cause other kinds of infections in your body. Dentists have been screaming about this. It causes your mouth to dry out, which then causes that bacteria in your mouth to fall back into your lungs very easily. Like these mechanisms have been identified long before COVID. It's very simple. But here's CNN. If you're at high risk of serious illness or death from COVID, it's time to dust off the N95s. Who are they talking about? Pregnant people, immunocompromised, elderly children, all the ones that are going to be worst affected by the things this, the, and, and worst of all, they don't have an effect on suppressing the infection or the transmission. There's not a statistically significant effect in reducing transmission. Not N95s, not medical masks, not cloth masks. 
The science is pretty damn clear on that, but it's funny that they don't want to trust the science. Well, let's listen to Mr. Petty again, who I've played many times. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I want to play this because this guy is an expert, like the actual expert on masks. He'll tell you himself in the clip, and he'll make the point. These doctors aren't, uh, um, I forget the term he uses. His field is about PPE. He is is educated, highly educated on this topic. He's telling you that doctors and the rest of them, they don't, they're not educated on the use of masks. They just to tell you what they think. He is the expert on this topic, and he will continue to tell you that these things do not work the way that they say that they do. First of all, I wanted to thank Melissa and the committee for the opportunity to talk. Again, my name is Stephen Petty. I'm a certified industrial hygienist, certified safety professional, uh, professional engineer, I've been working 45 years in the field of health and safety, spent my entire life trying to protect workers and the public from toxins. I've sampled for anthrax, biotoxins, the whole list. I've been in over 400. We also covered him in in East Palestine, by the way. uh, Cases named uh, with respect to exposure control and exposure and PPE. And um, most recently, I testified in the state of Kentucky, and as a result of my testimony, the mask mandate was overturned statewide. So let me introduce the topic of industrial hygiene. Industrial hygiene is not well understood by many. We have a lot of physicians talking about industrial hygiene. It's not their field. Industrial hygiene is a science and art devoted to anticipation, recognition, evaluation, and control of environmental factors and stressors that can cause you to be sick, make, make you uh, feel bad, or even kill you. And I've testified 400 times in those sorts of cases. The problem is that we have a lot of physicians talking about things like that, and they may be perfectly talented folks, but it's not their sandbox. When I'm in trials, we have a physician that talks about uh, the disease, and I talk about exposure and exposure control and PPE. The last, uh, the, the physician that talked earlier, I'm here to show you that every statement he made is false. Um, let me go then. There's really three ways you can look at why masks can and cannot work, and I'm on page three of my handouts, the top slide. Um, this is a plot of cases of COVID in New Hampshire with time. If you really believed that masks could work, you would expect the cases would drop with time. They do not. You can draw this plot for any state or any country in the world. What you see is where people are indoors more in the northern climates, the wintertime, disease rates go up. That's a well-understood industrial hygiene fact that's over 100 years old. And you see that in this plot. Um, Now I want to move you on to um, the uh, epidemiology. And there are lots of studies, but at the bottom of page four, probably the one uh, that's uh, most relevant is the Bundegaard study out of Denmark. They looked at 6,000 or so folks. 3,000 with masks, 3,000 without masks. They found no difference in disease rate. Similar study was done on schools in Florida. Same outcome, and that's on the bottom of page five. The the reality is that uh, I testified in federal court in Michigan about the CDC studies and showed that almost all the studies they cited suffered from two flaws. One they didn't have a control group. That is a group not wearing masks as similar to a group that was wearing masks to see what the differences were. If you don't have a control group, how do you know it makes a difference? Right. The other thing is there were confounding factors where there were multiple things going on at the same time. That's what we keep showing you, but these every study they use usually almost always can overlaps it with both masks, hand washing, and distancing. 
So it's it's just it's intentionally confounded with the obvious reality that people that aren't near other people are likely not going to get sick. And they go, oh, the mask worked. It's it's that's very intentional. Uh, with or without a control group like air conditioning cha- uh, changes, uh, separation, quarantine, and masking. There's no way to know whether masking has any effect at all. The real solution has always been, for 50 years, engineering controls of ventilation, dilution, or in destruction. And, and those solutions I've actually implemented in real schools beginning in 2020. And I work with many, many school districts to implement them without getting rid of the problem. I'm on page seven. If you can see visible dust, it's on the order of 50 microns. That unit may or may not mean anything. The, the, the virus is 500 times smaller than what you can see. If you look at a cross-section of a human hair, I've got a plot on the bottom of page 7. You see that dot. That dot is 10 times the size of a virus. It's a micron or so. So the, the COVID particle is a 1,000 times smaller than the cross-section of a human hair. And I ask everybody the simple question. You wear your mask. Can you slip a human hair by the side of your mask? Of course you can, especially below the eyes. It's a super freeway for the or through the mask itself, which we've already proven. The virus to come and go. This source control argument is bogus. Source control means the person wearing the mask, somehow or other, those, those viruses can't escape the mask. That's just nonsense. If you've got this super freeway, it doesn't, the virus doesn't care whether it's coming in or going out. A couple of things that need to be talked about real quickly. There's been great disinformation about um, COVID being a droplet. Now, particles can be classified in two bins, droplets and aerosols. The data I show on page 8 shows that over 99.9% of the particles are aerosols, less than 5 microns. They're not droplets. That's not the problem. The other thing that you see on the bottom is droplets fall to the ground very quickly. So, so even though they're a very small fraction, they'll fall to the ground on the order of minutes. If you look on the top of page 9, though, and you look at aerosols, it takes up to 50 days for them to fall. So these things are suspended in the air for days and days. So there's no way you have a COVID meter on your chest or your head. The only way that you're going to know if somebody's in aisle four and is sick the day before, you have no way of knowing whether that stuff's still there or not. So what's the solution? The solution is to dilute it with ventilation, filter it out, or destroy it. It always has been the solution. The National Safety Council gave us those solutions. Now, I, I'll be clear here that he's giving you the solution based on that report that this is droplets versus aerosol. That's, but that's being taken from other research that I think we've shown is not entirely accurate. But that's, you guys can decide for yourselves. He's just simply saying if and when we're dealing with something that's more aerosol than, than droplet, obviously ventilation is more valid. But the point, though, is that I think we've continued to show that that is not entirely accurate with the COVID discussion. But in any case, I think the point is more about what he gets into with the... From an industrial hygiene standpoint. In 19- I also want to talk a little bit. They say, well... Um, I'm on, now on page 11. I want to whip through this. They say, well, they might do a little bit of good. Well, that is in, our, in industrial hygiene. We don't look at solutions that do a little bit of good. It might, it might help 1% of the people. 
we have a requirement that if we're going to provide a solution that helps the public, it better have at least a 90% relative risk reduction. So how, how would you feel if I walked in and I said to asbestos workers, let's put you in a mask, it might save 1% of you from asbestosis, but the other 99% will get it. I think I would lose all my, all my licenses. And by the way, the asbestos fiber on average is 50 times larger than a COVID particle, and we have very high-end respirators, PAPRs, that are used to protect asbestos workers. And I'm certified in protecting asbestos workers. It's basic realities like that that just make this ridiculous. And, of course, what they've fallen back into is that, well, like he said, well, if if it stops any of it, then it makes – well, that's not – that's ridiculous. So what you're admitting is that you don't even know if any of this makes a difference, but why not? Well, then sure, why not? Then I get to decide. Then I'm going to say no, because if you're just going, why not give it a shot? I'm going to go ahead and say no, I'll make my choice and say no. Because we're not even getting in to the deleterious effects of all of this. The fact that this, in fact, very clearly, which I'll show you, leads to hypercapnia, hypoxia, all sorts of issues, systemic inflammation, bacterial pneumonia, all of these, which in many cases get called COVID-19. So why in the world would you take a 1% solution when you need 90% when we have solutions like ventilation destruction? infiltration that do meet that 90% requirement from industrial hygiene. The other thing you hear about all the time is on page 12, you see the top. Well, let's move on to, to N95s. As I just said, we wouldn't even use an N95 for asbestos workers. Right. But here's a study by Shaw et al. that shows even for an N95 where you glue it onto a board, and that's where most of these mass studies are done. They literally glue the mask onto a mannequin or a board. Now, do you glue your mask on your face? Of course not. So what happens when it's not? So if it's glued on, they say, well, it has 46% effectiveness. Well, what if you put a gap on it? 3% effectiveness. Exactly. And that's the real world. And that took you, and it took them two years to go, okay, sorry, not cloth. Go to N95. Doesn't work. And they know this, guys. The studies have been there the entire time. This is just a game of extension. And I'm going to get into showing you why they chose the cloth mask first. It's very clear. So about masks, on to page 13. On January 2nd, 2022, Scott Gottlieb, FDA commissioner and Face the Nation, spilled the beans. He said, basically, masks don't work. I've, I've been- and let's not forget that right after that, Lena Wen went on the other channel, CNN, and said the same thing. <laughs> Isn't that strange? It's almost like they coordinated that because they did. That's my opinion, obviously, but how is that not, how is it possible they could do the exact, clearly there was a choice to shift it away. One was the conservative narrative, one was the right, left narrative. They both said, nope, it's, we realized they don't work. Well, what changed? Well, nothing changed, and I proved that. There was no new study, there was no new information. They just woke up one day and said, oh, looks like we've realized cloth masks are the wrong thing, going to 95s. So it's amazing that the entire medical apparatus couldn't figure that out, but we did in 2021. Obviously, there's something more going on. And putting real engineering controls in real schools for two years. You can imagine as somebody who spent his whole life defending workers in toxic tort trials and the public, how infuriating it is to see people propose solutions that cannot and do not work. He admitted it. We also had CDC finally admit on January 14th of 2022, well, these masks aren't very effective, so let's move to N95s. I've said, no, 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 no. Let's move to engineering controls. He means like ventilation in the rooms and stuff, right? But how is that possible to see it as he can, oh, oh, it looks like it'll work. 
even though we were being censored for saying that using peer-reviewed science in 2021. In fact, in 2020, if you talk about masks in particular, I'll show you that next, which you remember, the, the, the 2015 peer-reviewed random controlled trial on cloth masks. The, if you're going to say trust the science, that's the only study you should look at for this. And specifically in regard to cloth masks, there was not another study that was done like that before this. And yet, magically, they didn't know it was there. If you follow the CDC guidance... I said, what science changes its position 180 degrees in two years? Mass, yeah. no mass, mass, no mass. Right. No science does that, along with eight other industrial hygiene folk complaining about this, as well as to Fauci in the White House, along with not designated to be used by children. That they've been trained on how to wear it, and they've been trained on how to replace it. Curriculum Associates is... I want to see a thing at the end. The, the, also, the uh, England Department of Education, 750 autistic children in place since 19. We thank you. Um, oh, it doesn't show it. It's already, so I'd be glad to do that. Thank you ah, for the time. It, it's cut. So there, in, the, in the full video, I think there was this guy on the right that asked a really stupid question at the end after everything that was talked about, and he asked some really dumb question about. I think this committee has heard. I don't want to waste any more time on it, but it was just, you know, he goes through all the science and all the information and he goes like, can you find these on Google or something really stupid like that? <laughs> it's just like, oh my God, these are the people making decisions, right? It just, it's embarrassing. They didn't even listen to him. As people in the chat pointed out, that woman with the mask in the corner didn't even pick up the paper. They don't care. Now here's Kevin Bass, PhD, pointing out specifically on ND5s, everything we already told you. The best evidence shows no effect of N95s on respiratory viral infection. Not that they don't have effects in plenty of ways, but M3, the website for these masks themselves, on the record say these things are not capable of stopping. It means they stop 95% of things under a 0.3 micron level. That does not include COVID-19. I've talked about this many times. It says, yet we are told by experts that we should mask up for N95s for the next wave. Here's a study. You can look at it for yourself. CDC acknowledges significant harms of N95s due to CO2 buildup. You know, the part that was a fake story in the beginning, but now they're being grudgingly forced to admit, even though the science has always been there, that they hurt you. And we were saying that from the beginning. You remember yourself. Here's one of the studies from 2022. N95 respirators and surgical masks to prevent SARS-CoV-2 infection. It says there was no statistically significant difference in respirator or surgical mask effectiveness in preventing SARS-CoV-2. What do you know? It's magic. I guess they didn't like that one, so nobody talks about it. Healthcare workers experience significantly more headaches, distress, facial irritation, injuries. Yeah, because that's what this, ha when you're wearing something you're not supposed to wear all day long, that's what happens. Here's the one that I've been showing you since 2020. 2015 British Medical Journal Random Controlled Trial. A cluster of randomized trial cloth masks compared with medical masks. Very important. It says cloth masks had significantly higher rates of influenza-like illness, just in general, compared with the control arm. So one of the most important things they found was that if you wear a cloth mask, you get sick. It's quite clear, isn't it? So just like when they talk about the parasite stress theory or the PCR test or everything else, they said, what in this? I said this from the beginning. It almost seems like they made choices that encouraged illness. Right? Well, you give them an injection that causes your immune system to collapse. You give them a mask that causes you to get sick. You, keep, you continue to keep people on the defensive. Your body is getting worse. Illness over and over. They knew this, guys. It's not, they, they chose this. 
The, the study is the first, and as far as I can tell, only random controlled trial on just cloth masks. And the results, quite literally, caution against the use of masks in general. In general, this is an important finding to conform occupational health. Moisture retention, what do you know, and reuse of them, exactly, and pore filtration may result in the increased risk of infection. In general, flu, pneumonia, systemic inflammation, oral thrush, everything, your body gets sick. Further research is needed. However, as a precautionary measure, cloth masks should not be recommended. Guess what they did? Everybody should wear cloth masks. And I have it saved, by the way. You can show the CDC's page was literally cloth masks. It was entitled cloth masks. They said everybody should wear cloth masks. How do you make sense of that? Show me the scientific study that says cloth masks work. You won't find it because it doesn't exist. So what science were they trusting when they told you to wear cloth masks? Guys, it's just that simple. And here's an even more ridiculous point from the New York Times 2021 or 2023, excuse me. From February 21, February 2023, the mask mandates did nothing. Will any lessons be learned? Well, the answer is a resounding no, because we're right back in it. Here's a new study from 2023 from the Royal, uh, was it from the uh, Royal Society, saying lockdowns and masks unequivocally reduced infection. Not a joke. I mean, this is unbelievably stupid. And here's just one of the most important parts. Dr. Gary Seidley, speaking with the Daily, the Daily Skeptic earlier today, which is what this is posted on, gave a good summary of the real slate state, state of evidence of face masks. He says, quote, it is a long-established conclusion from the scientific world that face masks achieve no appre- appreciable reduction in biotransmission. It's what the CDC, oh, that's, that's actually another one that we've always brought up from the very beginning. Let me see if I even still have it. <laughs> I lost a lot when my last computer crashed, by the way. One of the problems. Well, of course. I don't see it in my notes here, but the the point was it was a... Not this one. No, I'm not going to try to find it. It'll take too long. (laughs) Frustrating. Hey, that's probably one of the reasons why that stuff happens. But the bottom line is the CDC's own meta-analysis. Maybe I should frame it like that. Hold on. And then we're going to wrap this up. Maybe that's it. One of my older tweets. Oh, no. Uh, let's do 2020. Let's see if this pops up. Is that it? Oh, I bet you they I bet you they changed it, huh? Is that the one that popped up? No, this does look like it's it. I think this looks different. But in any case, this is the CDC's May 2020 meta-analysis. I believe this is it. Yeah, this is right. I just haven't looked at it in a while. So down here on face masks, it says some pretty clear things. It's saying, where was it? It does look, I actually do think it's different, but it went steady. Let's see. There's a main part in this where it says, you know what? I'm going to have to come back to this. I'm, I'm starting. I think they literally changed this. Hold on a second. You know what? It's going to take too much time. You guys remember this though. I mean, all the people that have been watching this show from the very beginning, we, from 2020, we were pointing out this meta analysis from the CDC. 
And I and the, the main I, let me just read from the top, make sure I'm not missing it. So it does say this does this is the part I do remember this part. We identified 10 random controlled trials that reported estimates of the effectiveness of face masks in reducing, you know, ILL, influenza-like illness. And that, yeah, so I know it's different because this is a different paragraph now. It looks different. But the point is, in pooled analysis, we found no significant reduction in influenza transmission with the use of face masks in general. And that applies to the COVID-19 discussion because they're talking about this in regard to influenza-like illness. Laboratory confirmed influenza in this case. Now, it says one study evaluated the use of masks among pilgrims, two studies, university settings. The overall reduction in influenza-like illness in face mask group was not significant in either of the studies. They also did seven household studies. You know, 10 random controlled trials. They found no difference. I'm going to have to go back through this and see what they changed. Very interesting. But in any case, the main point is still there. So in 2020, the CDC says they don't work, not in the context of reducing infection. And then, like he says, 180 degrees, boom, change it all back. Very interesting. I actually meant this to add this to masks, too, so I don't lose it. Okay, so let's wrap it up here, guys. And the point is, in the actual study that they're citing in this discussion, it says, we knew this in 2015 to 16 with regard... Oh, no, this is him talking about the mask not working. In 2015 to 16, that's the study we point at, 2015, with surgeons and patients, we knew this from 2020 in a gold standard Cochrane review and analysis of 14 studies on influenza that conclude that masks may paradoxically lead to more transmissions. There you go. We knew this in 2021 with a Danish study. I mean, over and over, all the stuff we pointed at. It says, so what do the Royal Society researchers present in the counter this wealth of high-quality evidence? Because that's what it is. Random controlled trials, CDC meta-analysis, it's the gold standard for the most part. A whole pile of poor-quality observational studies. That's how this works. They come in, they go, here's some observational studies, we win. Well, no, you don't. You guys are using the bottom level of information. It says the investigation includes 35 studies, 32 of which were observational studies. And they're telling you they work. Hooray. I mean, it's, it's just embarrassing. So if you want to go through and look at our work, I just looked up the word, the, the word mask and probably I've covered a thousand different things about masks. You guys can check it out for yourselves. One last point on this, guys, is that it's interesting now. And this, I, think, I, I honestly even think that Dr. Drew, in this case, or his show, has just come around to understanding the truth. But I think it is still interesting to point out, as somebody tagged me on this, going, hey, look at this. So here's Dr. Drew, August 24th, 2023, or his show. Why mask mandates are bad. He says, quote, it looks like you put something in front of you and it blocks what goes through, he says. This is the Yale professor. He says, but in reality, what you're talking about is, guess what, guys? Putting up a chain link fence and hoping it blocks mosquitoes. Wow. Where'd they hear that novel analogy? (laughs) It's almost like they've listened to other people talking about this. Well, here's what's interesting. If you look up Dr. Drew, you'll find him in 2020 screaming that masks need to be wood. Just wear a mask. So I don't know about that, guys. Now, I mean, even as I say that, I almost want to take it back because he's a doctor, right? He must have known the science in 2020, just like I did, showing that masks weren't effective in this regard. And yet in 2020, he towed the line like everybody else did. You better wear a mask. Stay well. Wear a mask over and over and over. Well, now they're falling into the same analogy. So I just I stress skepticism, guys. There's a lot of people stepping into the field and who, you know, are sort of insiders or completely insiders who are now saying the things we were saying in 2020 because it's all starting over again. So it doesn't, I could be, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I hope these people are honest. They're just about, because we should keep it open for people that are evolving their opinions. That's what we're doing here, right? That's the whole point. 
But at the same time, just be cautious because I'm very concerned, as always, with how we are being set up yet again. And finally, it's not just mass and all the rest of it. Kentucky District cancels classes less than two weeks into the year, literally due to COVID, flu, and strep outbreaks. Which, by the way, if you read it, it's, it's, it's really nothing. It, I mean, it's, it's the, the numbers and the information. It's, this is cold, flu, sniffles. These people aren't suffering. But it could be worse. So just in case. Well, no. We already went over what this did to children. We already went over what this did to society. But it doesn't matter. Because who knows? It might be worse. I mean, guys, if we fall for this again, if people walk into this again, we deserve what we get. <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous. And I don't really mean that, to be quite honest. I just think it's so exa- I'm so exacerbated by how ridiculous all this is. And the information is as clear as it's ever been in anything I've ever seen. So I'm hoping people can see through it. So thank you for for continuing to support this platform. We really have had an overwhelming show of support this month, guys. And it just means everything to me. I mean, it really does. Like I sit back and just am blown away by how lucky I am to have an audience like you guys that support what we're doing, who believe in doing this for the right reasons. It gives me faith in humanity, to be quite honest. So let's keep fighting. Let's keep pushing the information out because I genuinely believe whether or not they stop, because I, you know, one pessimistic note, I don't think that's going to happen, but I do believe that we are standing up as society, as the peoples of these countries, and that that will make a difference, that we can change things because we already have. And that's in, right now we're watching that play out. So just stay the course and continue to fight for what you believe and stand by what you believe, have integrity, even when it's difficult. Because that's what they're trying to you know, weed away from you. Is from they, want, they want us to just fall back into our positions and get scared. Is it real this time? Is it maybe this? I mean, even if it is, the point is, you know what's right. And your choice always matters, no matter what they tell you is going on. So thank you for being here, guys. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Questions get asked when people have hesitancy or reluctance to get vaccinated. Did you go too quickly is the first. The answer to that is the speed was a reflection of extraordinary scientific advances and did not compromise safety, nor did it compromise scientific integrity. The next question is, okay, but what about the fact, is it really safe and is it really effective? Or is this something the government is trying to put over on us? Is this something the companies want to take advantage of? Well, let's take a look at what's happened over the past few months. We've had clinical trials, and thanks to the volunteers in that trial, in tens of thousands who have put themselves on the line to prove to the country and the world that these are safe and effective products. It is really bittersweet. The bitterness is the fact of what the Vice President mentioned. We still are in the middle of a very difficult situation with record numbers of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. But the sweetness is the light at the end of the tunnel, which I can tell you as we get into January, February, March, and April, that light is going to get brighter and brighter. And the bitterness is going to be replaced by the sweetness. And we all hope, and I think this is doable, that by the time we get to several months into this year, we will have enough people protected that we can start thinking seriously about the return to normality. And that's up to all of us to step forward and get vaccinated.